Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. I am your host, Austin, here, and with me I am joined by Tobias. That's me. And Bill. That's a me too. And Andrew. Hey, what's up? And Tori. Howdy, y'all. And Marissa. Hello. And Sarah. Hey. Is there anybody else in here? Where This is a full crowd, oh my goodness. Okay, excellent. Nobody else is here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so in this episode, we're in for the long haul on this one. We are talking about our favorite anime of 2018. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Um, Thanks. Yeah, we're super excited to talk about uh, all the wonderful shows that made an impact on us uh, in 2018. There was a lot of really cool anime that came out this year, and a lot of it we're going to talk about right now. At least all of the things worth talking about, anyway, because obviously our opinions are superior. Uh, <laughs> Tobias is the least superior, but we won't get into those details. I mean, you're not <laughs> wrong, so. Yeah, yeah. All right, so before that, uh, we did put out a survey a couple of weeks ago to ask some of our listeners what they thought was their, like, personal favorites of 2018, and we got some really good responses here. Uh, Some of the things that uh, our listeners submitted are things that we're going to talk about, but a good handful of the things that they submitted were things that did not make it onto our list. That's really awesome that there was, there seems to be a lot of anime that made an impression on folks this year. Uh, I'm just going to read a couple of the submissions that we got on here. So uh, this first submission here, I I can't read who it's from because I just can't and I'm lazy. Uh, It says here, Zombieland Saga is my anime of the year, and that's even including my favorite anime, Steins Gate, getting a sequel this year. I think this is actually from Will. That sounds like Will. Did he not put a name? He did, but I can't see them side by side for some reason. Oh, okay. Okay, anyway, um, he goes on to say, Zombieland Saga does everything so well and keeps a great tone throughout. Its cast, music, and humor really set it above without being too over the top. I would have never even considered watching an idol show, but now I'm hooked. Cool. Thank you for submitting that, Will. Appreciate mm-hmm. it. Uh, let me actually change these settings here and I can see them by individual... So we got another submission from Aaron saying, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Golden Wind. It was a perfect adaptation of Part 5. The torture dance scene made it pretty much beyond above, I think it says tier good, but I think they probably meant to say god tier. God tier. That's good. But but I like like tier good as well. It's like you've got tier good, tier great, tier awesome. (laughs) And, uh... Golden Wind is is clearly, in their opinion, at tier good, but I would put it at tier uh, uh, excellent. But anyway, mm-hmm. whatever. Okay. All right, let's see. Another one here. 
Okay, so Sully submitted another uh, co-host on this podcast, and he said, uh, I'm not in this episode, but I want everybody to know the Devilman Crybaby was my favorite. <laughs> okay. okay. We will... We will get to some Devil Man here a little bit later, and we're yeah. absolutely oh, we going to cut that out because you're not on this episode, Sully. So, uh, yeah. suck it. <laughs> oh, you have to unlock is. that right. episode on Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got another one here from uh, Ryan Walsh, uh, Ryan W, who's been on the show a couple of times. Uh, he says his number one was Legend of the Galactic Heroes. I can't pronounce that subtitle, but the remake. It's the reboot. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the reboot of uh, L.O.G.H. Uh, as a big fan of the original L.O.G.H., this reimagining of the original novels hit almost all of the things I loved about the original OVA. Interesting characters, dramatic politicking, and intense space battles. The animation by Production IG does not fail to disappoint. It loses a few points by not featuring the bombastic classical compo- compositions of the original OVA. However, it still should be something that this was so well put together. Cool. Well, thank you, everybody, who uh, sent in uh, responses um, for our listener survey. We really appreciated hearing from you and reading all of those things. So thank you so much. And hopefully we can do more of those surveys about other things into the future. Hmm. And, and Ryan, I promise as soon as I get back to my computer, we will play Stellaris for like three days straight. <laughs> Yay. So like once I get back, and you too, Bill, once I get back to my computer, we're going to play a lot of Stellaris. <laughs> All right, so getting started with our 2018 in review, uh, I did want to do like a quick segment because obviously we all know that anime does not exist in a bubble. You can actually watch anime in any given year that was not released in that year. <gasps> I know that feels like it feels like a radical thing these days because Bye. the uh, the social media you know firestorm is always about the the new hotness and all that stuff. <laughs> Um, but you actually can watch anime from the past, which is kind of nutty. Uh, so I would like everyone to sort of go around the table and uh, talk about maybe something that you watched in 2018 that you really, really enjoyed that did not come out this year. And we will just go by the order on Discord here. So Tobias, could you tell us about something that didn't come out this year that you watched that you really enjoyed? Sure. So I probably have the latest entry in this list. Uh, I watched the Dirty Pair TV series from 1985 mm-hmm. as part of a semi-watch on Twitter and in the month of December. Um, I kind of went into this thinking it was just going to be a really goofy, fan service show, but I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, it really focuses more on the comedy and the interaction between uh, our main characters, Kay and Yuri. Uh, it's just a fun, bombastic show. There's a lot of funny little segments, uh, very episodic uh, segments here. I really enjoy the one episode where they're in like, a cowboy western. It's just kind of off the wall and really fun and goofy. Um, it's yeah, it's just a really fun watch. It got a lot of laughs out of it, and I would still recommend it. I think it holds up pretty well in 2019. Awesome, uh, Bill. What about you? Um, for me, I would have to say that I watched Record of Lotus War, uh, the old OVA from the early 90s. Uh, I got back into watching that because I'm s- hopefully this year gonna start. Um, DMing or dungeon mastering for Dungeons and Dragons, and oh God help you! <laughs> and that show is basically a D and D campaign in a nutshell, and so I wanted to start watching it. And watching it now with modern eyes, it's kind of a interesting throwback where it's a very um, there's no like backstabbing. It's a traditional. This is the hero. This is the bad guy. Um, there's no meta take on it, which is a kind of a nice change of pace. 
Um, let's. It's a very um, like a, I would picture like this would be some uh, like a hero show I would watch um, probably like in the in the sixties or something like uh, if it, if this was an American TV show it'd be like um, uh, like the Lone Ranger or uh, I'm, I'm struggling to think of an example something like that but uh, I also just really enjoy the fantasy aspect of it because we don't really get traditional fantasy in anime like the only one I can think of off the top of my head is maybe Berserk <laughs> uh, which you could count as like in a fantasy medieval setting which is kind of a nice change of pace uh, cool. so yeah I really enjoyed Record of Lotus War and also go check out the ending theme for it it's really catchy it's a great 80s pop tune what about you, Andrew? Anything? Uh, yeah, I watched uh, I watched some of uh, Girls' Last Tour, and uh, I don't know. It's like it, it's like one of those things like when you watch it or like when you watch a show. Sometimes the way the world building is done is not necessarily world building, but more more world giving. So it it was sort of refreshing to you know see you just sort of dropped into this world and literally the characters and the audience are in the dark and as the show goes on you learn more about the world that these girls are going through and it's sort of like Dark Souls in that way but completely different because you know Dark Souls you're dropped in this world and you know nothing and it immediately tries to kill you all the time (laughs) but in this show it's, it's it doesn't Girls Last Tour doesn't try to kill you. It tries to... Well, uh, I mean, that literally you know, does happen in the first episode. One almost kill the other. Well, yeah. Over a chocolate bar. Yeah, <laughs> but they're hungry. And it's cute girls doing cute things. And so, you know, I'm always down for that. But, uh, you know, I really I really super enjoyed uh, watching a little bit of that. I need to finish it. I haven't, uh, I haven't been good about, you know, keeping up with stuff. But, yeah, Girls Last Tour, it's very good. I'm really, really grateful that you avoided the accursed phrase of saying, Girls Last Tour is the Dark Souls of anime. <laughs> <laughs> Banned comparisons in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Tori, that, uh, did you watch anything? Um, I went and watched the very first season of Pretty Cure. And, um, you know, that's been like my obsession for the past little bit. But um, I'd never seen the original season, so, like, going back and seeing where it started and how it's evolved from, like, being kind of normal to this, like, weird, crazy, over-the-top, super colorful, like, pastel vomit. Um, It's just been really interesting. (laughs) And, (laughs) like, uh, the OG pre-cures are really special to me. But, um, yeah, that's that's been a lot of fun. Yay, Cure Black. Yes. That's girl. Cool. Marissa? Um, for those of you who probably listened to the podcast that I was even on this year, the only thing I wouldn't shut up about was Saint Seiya. So, uh, Tobias, you had me beat by one year for the oldest anime series. <laughs> uh, GG. <laughs> 86. Um, so, yeah, Saint Seiya, I watched the entire original run, the Hades arc, I started watching Lost Canvas. So, I've watched over, like, a hundred and fifty, I think, something odd episodes this year, intermittently, 
between stuff, and it's just a great older series if you're a fan of those shonen team up anime series. I don't really know how to describe Saint Say. It's a really old 80s style uh, fighting anime series that's great and has zodiac references and Greek mythology. So, what more can you like? Sarah? Um, I finally got around to watching something that's probably the newest one, uh, Little Witch Academia, and I finished it, and it's real good. Um, yep. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it, I I still don't know if I like the OVAs more or the TV show more, because they both kind of had a slightly different approach, but I definitely, I think I like the way that they framed Diana in the TV show a lot more as oh, yeah, a too. more sympathetic um like air quotes antagonist um yeah definitely yeah but that was my one big thing from this year i've mostly just been trying to keep up <laughs> yep understandable um as for myself okay so tobias dirty pair came out when again 85 85 and marissa you said saint say i was 86 yep well, I got you guys with 87. Uh, it's not older, but we got three years in a row here. Ooh. With uh, <laughs> uh, My pick would be Robot Carnival. Um, I talked about Robot Carnival in my uh, personal top ten over on the uh, thirdimpactanime.com blog thing. Website? Yeah, that's the word. Um, <laughs> the, uh, WordPress? Yeah, the WordPress. Um, there we go. We, um, I finally picked up that Blu-ray this year at uh, Anime Week in Atlanta. And uh, I watched it, and it was really awesome. Um, I had been a fan of um, Katsuhiro Otomo, most most like everyone, through Akira and things like that. And uh, going back and seeing some of his early work and uh, all the other wonderful shorts made by so many talented and incredible animators uh, through Robot Carnival was just amazing. And being able to watch that Blu-ray and, like, watching those, those, like, cells just wash over me to, like, see all of the scratches and the dirt that was, like, still like preserved on there they hadn't cleaned it up too much or anything like that so it was all still there but in like high quality pristine high definition and just seeing that always reminds me why i love like cell animated things so much i mean i'm not a i'm not a hater on like digital animation by any means and i understand that cell animation is very difficult and very expensive but just as an art form i just i love seeing really high quality uh high definition cell animation like wash over me especially with something like robot carnival which is so beautifully animated in all of the different segments and so entertaining in so many different ways and a lot of fun it was it was just great i love robot carnival um yeah it's really really good and I don't want to sneak in a, and cheat and get a second one here, but I thought Bill was going to mention this, so he didn't, so I'm going to cheat anyway. Uh, we also watched In This Corner of the World earlier this year. Huh, and I did as well. Yes. As um, as man. I. Like, I don't, I don't want to steal like, Grave of the Fireflies or Barefoot Against Thunder, but this is a, like a great World War II story. Uh, you know, it, this came out in, what, 2016, so it's pretty new. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is on Netflix, so you can watch it there. And it's it's definitely a different take than, than uh, Grave of the Fireflies. It's heartbreaking in different ways, but it also focuses more on the civilian life rather than just the victim's life, uh, like in Grave of the Fireflies. So if you haven't checked that out, Please go do so. It will probably mess you up as much as either of those movies did. But uh, yeah, go check it out. Yep, absolutely. I cannot recommend that movie 
more. It's it's incredible. I I wish it had uh, gotten an Oscar because I think they were trying to go for an Oscar nom for that movie, but just the timing of its release was just really bad. Yeah, didn't it come out like in the same like like um, frame like, of time as like your name? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Ooh. Yeah. Difficult to. It was like right before like, your yeah. name, I think, over here. So of course they got ignored, unfortunately. But it's it's mm-hmm. certainly a, a great film. Yep, it is. Uh, like your name is a great film, but like in this corner of the world is like that is a film for the ages. Like it is one of those like Library of Congress sort of <laughs> films uh, that should be like preserved and watched for decades and decades. Like I think people will still be talking about that as an anime movie like a hundred years from now and it's uh yeah it's really awesome all right so i guess we'll just move into our um our individual favorites this year so we've set it up in a way that we are going to talk we're going to like briefly touch on some of our honorable mentions here first off and then we will sort of go through in order because i've sort of cobbled together a generalized coagulation of all of our favorites in order of like uh, like least repeated to most repeated in that sort of way um, so we'll talk about a lot of the things that only like one of us watched and then we'll get more towards the things that a lot of us watched uh, together so I guess we'll first go through our uh, honorable mentions and uh, we'll still keep the same order so we'll go with uh, Tobias first so tell us about some of your honorable mentions from the year you say Tobias Yes. Oh, that's me. <laughs> that's okay. you, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh, fuck. Okay. Uh, so my first honorable mention is uh, one that just wrapped up recently, SSSS Gridman, which we're going to record another podcast on separate. So I don't want to talk about it too much. Uh, this was the vastly superior of the two trigger animations this past year, for sure. Uh, I'm not a huge token nerd myself, and uh, the original Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad didn't come out uh, on TV back when I was a kid. I pretty much just got Power Rangers and Big Bad Beetleborgs, so I didn't have the <laughs> nostalgia that a lot of people had at this for this show. Um, but going into it, like I really enjoy just like the little references that we, the Trigger, of course, is known for the really fluid animation segments, and you know, ending off with a really, uh, a really cool lesson on just like friendship between uh, a couple main characters that I don't want to spoil exactly. But it really wasn't what I was expecting going in, and really enjoyed it. Uh, unfortunately, I just enjoyed a couple things more than it, so it's on my honorable mentions list. Uh, next up is Laidback Camp, which we'll talk more about later. Uh, I didn't actually finish this, unfortunately. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it had really good blood quality and really interesting characterization. Unfortunately, it was just outranked by a couple other things on my list. Uh, same with Place Further Than the Universe. Really enjoyed it. Uh, uh, really just had a really great character moments, uh, but unfortunately did not finish this either. And I'm gonna gonna rectify that here soon. I I promise. But uh, also really really enjoyed it from earlier this year. And lastly, Planet With again something I did not finish just because I'm really bad at anime. Uh, but a lot of people that I respect online really had good things to say about this. I really enjoyed the couple episodes I watched. Uh, I think it was really interesting to see an homage to 2000s era anime, which uh, Planet With definitely does in space especially in the beginning uh, I would definitely like to see more homages to stuff that's not just super classic uh, you know super classic works so it was cool to see that but again fortunately did not finish it so didn't get make my major list all right Bill what do you think um let's see in my honorable mentions 
I have the Legend of Galactic Heroes reboot. I think Ryan W. pretty much said everything I would say about that uh, reboot. I did not finish it because that season was just packed with so many shows that I was into, like Megalobox and Lupin, so it kind of went by the wayside. But overall, from what I watched, I really liked it, except no classical music was a, a point taken off. And also, I didn't like all the character designs because everyone looked like they were 20 or younger, which was a shame because the original OVA, everyone has a wide age range, which I really enjoyed, which you rarely see in anime. Uh, I do think it is funny that uh, that Ryan Walsh uh, upstood you on this, and he's not even on this episode. <laughs> Curse yeah. you. Well, he'll if he hears this episode, he'll lambast me for not finishing the reboot. So <laughs> I can hear it now. Um, in this corner of the world, which I think Tobias, you also pretty much covered everything about that movie that I loved about it. Just the uh, take on it, where it showed the effects of World War II from the civilian perspective in Japan, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but. It's a great movie. It's on Netflix in the U.S. Go watch it. Next up would be uh, Devilman Crybaby. I know that in January everyone was really into it, but because I'm me, the hype train made me not want to finish it because everyone was talking about it, and that just kind of wore me down, and so I didn't finish it. Although from what I saw, I really liked the animation style and the opening song is an earworm. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that is all my honorable mentions. All right. Who's up next? Uh, Andrew, tell us about your honorable mentions. Okay. So my first honorable mention is... These aren't in any particular order, by the way. Um, Skullface bookseller Honda-san. Um, once again, like kind of like what Tobias was saying, I didn't finish this show because if I if I did, it might be higher on the list. I'm not sure, but I I really enjoyed like weird comedies. Um, so uh, and this show seemed to like fill that niche nicely. There's a lot of cool characters, a lot of fun like you know funny bits. Everybody is sort of like. And it's all, like, internalized comedy, so a lot of it happens, like, in people's heads. And uh, I find that just effortlessly funny, just watching people right. suffer. I, I watched um, the episode, the the BL episode, where he's having to deal yeah. with like, the BL customers, because, yeah, yeah. hi, that was me. Uh, <laughs> in Japan, I was trying not to be, like, conspicuous, but at one point I was like, okay, I'm going to look at the name of the, the book, and I was like, do you have it? At least I wasn't, like, broken, trying to broken Japanese. I was like, you have this. And they're like, no. And I was like, okay, thanks. And I moved mm-hmm. on with life. But I was like, Special it was book. so accurate. <laughs> it was so accurate, though. I was like, mm-hmm. the girls going in there, like, being like, I'm not here for Yaoi. And it's like, yes, you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, no, that was, a lot of that has a lot of accuracy to it. It was just hilarious. Mm-hmm. And uh, so next on my list, I have Pop Team Epic. Uh, once again, it's a show I didn't finish, but uh, I really feel that like uh, it 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 sort of made an made an impact on the industry, um, in you know other ways like that Nietzsche Joe sort of didn't. Um, 
because it's so like because now anime is so accessible so stuff like you know pop team epic can thrive in a world where nichijo didn't um so i like the i like what pop team epic did more than i necessarily like pop team epic even though i think it's really good uh but i just don't think it quite made it on my list uh and then third is a place further than the universe um once again a show i really enjoyed really really enjoyed but uh i didn't finish and uh i don't know if that's just because you know i watched laid back camp and that sort of took up my time that season but uh that's definitely something that i will that i will rectify soon it's very very good and then my last honorable mention is chio school road um you know really good comedy really fun you know sort of another internalization show not quite as over the top or as like goofy as uh honda-san is or as pop team epic but uh you know still like just really good sort of like a refreshing show to watch uh and i think yeah that's it for my honorable mentions cool all right uh tori can you tell us about your honorable mentions um, okay, so my first one, for better or for worse, uh, I did finish it, but um, this definitely did not make it onto my top list whatsoever, but the Jinji Ito collection uh, was very bad, but it was very, <laughs> <laughs> it was very nice to be able to see his works animated, it's just, um, it didn't, definitely did not come across the same way. Um, and you know it's just a hard thing to do. I get that, but um, you know if you're if you're really into him like I am, uh, it's probably gonna be a hate watch. But uh, it's cool, like I said, to see his work. Um, it was fun. Um, the next one on my list is Suku Mogami, um, which is this period piece show about a brother and a sister who run a item shop where you can come in and rent things. Um, I can't remember the reason for it. Um, it was something really simple, but all the items have like a spirit attached to them, so they come to life at night and um, they basically like help people out and things like that. It kind of reminds me a lot of like um, Toy like, Story. Yeah, <laughs> but it looks like Kyosogiga. <laughs> Oh my um, sort of, sort of. Not that, not that like um, super fantasy or anything, but uh, the art style and like the colorfulness of it, of it overall. And there's also this comb, like this, like one of those like traditional, like um, they look like the semicircle combs, and it turns into like a little dog, and it's the cutest thing ever. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting. I thought it was going to take a particular route. Um, with certain things, but so far I've watched maybe four episodes of it and it's really not um, doing what I thought it would, so that's good. Um, let's see, I know we might talk about it a little bit later, I think it's in the actual lineup, but I did watch a little bit of uh, Surune, which is a KyoAni show <laughs> um, about an archery, like boys playing, not playing, boys in the archery club. Um, and I really like that so far. Um, it's really beautiful, which is always expected with their stuff. Um, I definitely want to check more of it out. Uh, there's a guy that has a pet owl, so that's cool. Masa. <laughs> yeah. My husband. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is it he keeps in that little container that has, like, the underwear print on it? 
Oh my gosh. I think it's like bow resin or something. I want to say so. He's like, you know, that one's mine because it's naughty. And I'm just like, good God. <laughs> um, and then another show. Um, this one was actually an Amazon exclusive. So sorry. But um, I did watch the first episode of Irodoku. I guess it's, I don't know. Um, but it's about a girl and she's lost the ability to see color. But it's like this nice little like metaphor for she has depression. Um, but it doesn't quite hit the mark. Like, it, it's trying, but, like, it could be better um, or more fleshed out, I guess. And she meets this guy, and he's an artist, and she is able to see the color of his art, um, which, once again, metaphor. But um, I read a lot of reviews for it, which is not something I usually do going into a show, but a lot of people seem to generally, gen- genuinely like it, um, and even though it's kind of like a teen high school romance, it didn't seem to fall into a lot of tropes that you see within that genre, which is um, really good and really refreshing, because nothing's more infuriating than like watching two high school kids try to fall in love, but then get really ticked off because there's misunderstanding after misunderstanding like I'm old I don't have time for that um <coughs> Toradora <coughs> <laughs> but um there's this oh and uh another really important thing about that is um there's time travel involved she's actually a mage and she gets sent into the past by her grandmother to be like you should do this this might help you um and so there's that, like, magical, like, time travel, um, I think I read something about, like, time paradoxes later on, which, woo, fun, uh, but there's the scene where she walks into the, uh, maid shop that is owned by her, by her, um, great-grandmother and great-great-grandmother when they're younger, and they have all the, like, uh, potions on this big case behind, like, um, where the lady who owns the shop will like ring out her customers and it is so visually beautiful it's colorful and just it looks like it came straight out of a Ghibli movie and all I could think was man that sucks that she can't see that because it's beautiful <laughs> um, yeah so I definitely definitely want to keep watching that um, because it seems like you know it, it had some praise and I'm interested in the concept um, and then I can't remember if this was on the like general list of everything else we're going to talk about but um i did watch a couple episodes of wotakoi um and it's really cute and it's really funny and um it's just two big nerds getting a crush on each other and it kind of like kind of reminds me a little bit of like um i can't understand what my husband is saying but they're both big stinky otaku um (laughs) so like it's just it's wholesome and fun to watch two people who care about like the same things to such a like um extreme degree uh come together and like find happiness that's that's cool and good and i want to finish that show so awesome mm-hmm. marissa tell us about yours all right uh my list is a little smaller uh i didn't watch too too much until like later into the fall season um fall and summer but one of my favorites was a sequel which would have been um free season three uh, it, uh, I just thought of this pun and I made myself laugh. It blew me out of the water. Didn't. Please edit that out. <laughs> no, please don't. Uh, <laughs> Leave it in. <laughs> Leave it all in. Um, but it was 
not what I was expecting. It touched on a lot of things that they brought in during the high-speed movie and stuff that they kind of left hanging at the end of season two with um, the main characters going on to college, but some of them are still in high school. So it's a lot of, it's like Haru and Makoto and Rin's journey in college and more in the professional realm of swimming. And this is supposed to be the last season, but KyoAnnie was like, nah, we're gonna milk you guys. And at the very end it says, see you in 2020. And I was like, you didn't. Like, this is supposed to be it. This is supposed to be the last 12 episodes. And they're like, nope, see you in 2020. And we're like, another season is it going to be a movie what is it what are we no, doing no, and 2020 no, Marissa, is also the year of the uh, summer olympics and i'm just like yeah nope yeah i was, I was about to say yeah they're, they're not going to make another season all the no. free boys are just going to become olympic swimmers that's how it's going to work yep we're just going to see the yep. see them at the olympics and that's what they mean by 2020 they're going to be yeah. shown on the big screen during the <laughs> yep. opening or the closing ceremony and i'm going to be it's, like i can't <laughs> it's going to be like a like a it's gonna be like a Mary Poppins sort of thing, where like the free boys oh. will be competing in swimming races against like real flesh and blood people. See, I was thinking like a Miku Curse concert, but like in a pool, and I was like, hmm, I hope they figure that one out because <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> but it's uh, oh gosh, it's good to know that people. Roger Rabbit. <laughs> it's good to know people haven't forgotten about free because I have. Um, and did not realize it was still ongoing. Uh, I didn't either, and I kept seeing things on good old Tumblr. Rest, rest in pieces. Except uh, for, except for that one meme where they were like, "Can they make Makoto any bigger?" And I'm just like, "Absolutely." <laughs> He's so precious. But yeah, uh, the one of the main reasons I love season three is that you see all of the connections from Haru Makoto's past with middle school, with middle school. Um, swimming mates, uh, the older generation, everyone is connected in some way or another with someone else, and it's just this big old web, and it's really cool to see it finally coming together. Um, Mm. But yeah. Uh, Another one of my favorite series, another sports anime was uh, for honorable mentions would have been um, Run With The Wind. It is a two-seasoner, though, so it's spanning into the winter season, so I don't know how to judge it yet, because we still have another, like, 12 episodes until it's done, but right now is is surprisingly an underrated sports anime. It's about running. Mm-hmm. Wee! That, that's on uh, Amazon? It's actually right? on uh, VRV. It is on VRV. Oh, okay. It's on cool. Crunchy. Yep. Um, it got beat out by a different Force anime that has like two more episodes because of the fact of it was shorter and I got more about the plot, but it's still really good. Um, and another honorable mention, this has to be an honorable mention because to be honest, this would actually be my number one if it wasn't Chinese. Is <laughs> uh-huh. Moldau Zushi. The rub. Yeah. Um, Moldau Zushi also in English is the Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation. Uh, I recently got into Donghua, which are Chinese animated, uh, Chinese animation. So anything from like 3D to 2D is considered a, a, from China is considered a Donghua. Things like uh, King's Avatar and a couple of other things you probably didn't know that are on Crunchyroll and are dubbed in Japanese. And they probably throw your brain for a loop. Uh, one of them is like Spirit Pack. And I think there's like another one with like a fox wife. They're Chinese. Surprise. Um, China's trying to finally get their foot in the door because they do a lot of the background animation for a lot of anime. 
But uh, Moldazushi is about um, you follow the story of Wei Wuxian, and it's like 13 years later, and it's just the aftermath of his death. He's been put into the body of this poor uh, cut sleeve boy, and it's just his misadventures. And most of season one is the flashbacks of previous and kind of leading into him becoming the grandmaster of demonic cultivation. And so it's a beautiful Chinese drama uh, incorporating tons of fantasy elements with music. It's beautifully um, animated. There's some, there's some not so nice 3D animation, but what do you, what do you do? There's not. Yeah, not not <laughs> everything can be land of illustrious or yeah. yeah. Or uh, yeah. Berserk that or, one time. Or you foldable things. Just <laughs> Bandori season two yeah. actually looks pretty all right from the little bit that I've seen. Uh, it's not okay. bad so far. That's good. But, that's good. Okay. Yeah, Modazushi's still not done. Has two more seasons, so I can't wait. Um, and uh, for those of you who are not a big fan of BL, don't worry. Yes, it is BL, but it is not BL. It's like Yuri on Ice. It's <laughs> very subtle, um, but it's there. But don't let that take away from the story because it's a bunch of guys kicking butt and defeating zombie monsters. So, yep. Hey, man, I'm always down for big lobsters. Yeah. <laughs> That's what BL stands for, right? Yeah, yep. big lobsters. Big Special lobster. lobster book. Man, I need to start watching <laughs> that shit now. That's the case. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Sarah, what is what are your uh, honorable mentions? Um, my honorable mentions are Zombieland Saga and Review Starlight, which are both very much loved by a lot of people on this podcast i guess because we're gonna talk about them later <laughs> so that's i mean i'm gonna just like pocket my opinions until they come around again probably cool sounds good uh well, i guess that leaves me uh, my honorable mentions for this year uh start with uh Agretico. Uh, I really, really enjoyed Agretzko, like a lot of folks on here, and I think it uh, I think it ended up in the final list, so we will just talk about that one later. Um, but there was just a lot of other things that I really, really enjoyed, so I had to stick that one in my honorable mentions, but it's definitely part of my year. Uh, another one that I didn't get around to finishing, but I really, really enjoyed was uh, Golden Kamui. I finished about almost a, the entirety of the first season, and uh, I think I really really enjoyed it i just didn't get around to completing it all and uh the story was really fascinating the characters are just like super interesting i love uh the dynamic between the two main characters between uh uh, Sugimoto and Asirpa. I thought that I thought that their whole relationship was so well written and so interesting, and their dynamic was uh, both very heartfelt and very hilarious at times. And uh, that show just has a lot of character, uh, a lot more character than you would think a show of like its genre would have. It's uh, it's very funny. It's very uh, culturally interesting because it uh, it uh, explores the the Ainu people of uh, that are native to Japan, uh, which is something that not a lot of uh, anime really talks about uh, so and, that was really fascinating sorry and the historical period that it takes place in is really interesting it takes place during the Russia-Japanese war which yes. is 
I don't think ever covered in anime <laughs> that I've that I've yeah. seen before. So. Yeah, nothing, nothing to my knowledge. That's for sure. So, uh, Golden Cam Kamui was really interesting. And <laughs> you just I'm say Golden Kamui. <laughs> uh, Golden Kamui. <laughs> Kamui. But anyway, I really enjoyed that, and uh, I think we're going to be talking about this in sort of our Masaaki USS se- section. But I put uh, Lou over the wall into my honorable mentions. It was really hard to pick either Lou over the wall or the night is short walk on girl to uh fit into my top five but i picked the night is short for my top five and put lou in my um in my uh honorable mentions because uh, i really loved it thought it was an amazing amazing uh movie it was so much fun the music was incredible uh, the animation was just so in, like amazing to just let it wash over you and just uh see all those beautiful colors and uh, the beautiful fluid animation and how wild and wacky that movie was allowed to be it's just so much fun a really really excellent uh like good family movie for anime and it's it's great to see like really good family films uh in anime that are not from studio ghibli mm-hmm. um <laughs> and i think lou over the wall is like a fabulous example of that i think it's going to be something that people come back to for many years because it's just so much fun and the english dub was really good too um and then just because i have uh barely watched any of it but it's got to be on the list uh, jojo part five made my uh, honorable mentions uh because because it's jojo and i love jojo jojo is a lot of fun um i really enjoyed part four uh, and i'm enjoying part five just as much so hmm. it's really good all right, folks. Well, I guess we can move into our macro list here, uh, starting off with something that Bill wants to talk about. Uh, take it away. Um, and a complete shocker, I'm going to be talking about Lupin. Uh, Lupin the Third, Part Five. What? I know. No one saw this coming. Oh, well. <laughs> Bill, uh, but <laughs> but I think this is the show that I hyped up the most because anytime Crunchyroll did a promo tweet on it, I retweeted it. I wrote uh, <laughs> reviews for our wonderful website uh, for the first five article, uh, first five episodes, and it's on my best of write up list that I did. Uh, so yeah, not I, only <laughs> not only is it on your best of, it's your number one, right? The numbers don't matter. They don't matter. <laughs> but it, in my my heart wants to say it's number one. But I, I don't want people to get mad at me for not putting like Devilman as not number one. Something but like Bill, that. what is your body telling you? <sighs> His body loves man. Lupin, man. What do you want to... <laughs> yeah. It's like if I could get teleported to the land of Lupin, I'd live there. Go hang out with Chicken and Fujiko and Gomon. I'd be there in a heartbeat. You'd have to run a lot. Yeah. Hey, I'm getting so much good shape. Man, my <laughs> legs would be on fire almost every day. Cool. But anyway, yeah, this I'll is. Watch. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> but the reason why I promoted it and loved it so much is because it was a great blending of modern conventions with callbacks to the past where for the first time Lupin kind of took place in the modern day and they had ongoing arcs that have become so commonplace in TV today. So they would bring up... The first arc is them dealing with a uh, a Silk Road type website 
and they're trying to break into this um, the server and when Jigen uh, is talking about this with with Lupin he's like so, wait what do you mean what are we trying to do and Lupin is basically like just because it's not a safe or money it's still <laughs> it's the it's the same thing as money all this stuff all this information that's in the server uh, and just all the little callbacks and tweaks throughout the show like they do references to Cascagliostro there's a really cool green jacket reference in the final episode and I th- the one really cool thing that I really enjoyed about it the ongoing kind of storyline that goes on throughout the multiple arcs is the relationship between Fujiko and Lupin whereas in this she's it's hinted at that they've kind of broken up quote unquote and that they're uh, antagonist against each other and so that ongoing storyline kept me intrigued because usually she's always for the ride and uses Lupin to get what she wants but she in this series she always keeps her distance which is kind of different um, but yeah I I loved part 5 I'm really excited that we're getting a new Lupin TV special uh, this month I think um, I'm praying that Crunchyroll licenses it so that way I don't have to wait 5 years to watch it um <laughs> And that I can force everyone to watch the TV special because I know I won't be able to get everyone to watch 26 episodes of Part 5. But if you if you want more Lupin in your life after listening to our Castle Cagliostro episode, I would highly recommend watching the latest one, Part 5, and Part 4, The Italian Adventure. Yep. So at this point, I wow. feel like you're talking directly to me since I did just watch Cagliostro just a few months back, and I yeah, I kind of caught yeah. the loop on back after that. I really enjoyed yeah, I, that movie. You know what I'm gonna do? What? I'm going to somehow make Lupin rhyme with a month, and that'll get you to talk about <laughs> it on Twitter, which then will make you keep keep watching it. So. You should just give me the crossover between that and Pop Pop Team Epic. Oh, I would watch the hell out of that show. <laughs> oh my god! Man, that's, that's, you're blowing my mind right now. I'm just, I, can't, <laughs> can't I can't even, even can't imagine form words. <laughs> <laughs> There's just one episode of Lupin the Third where he takes off his mask and he is just Papako and Pee Pee Me standing on top of each other. <laughs> yeah, they're in a coat. You know how to win me, Japan. Make it happen. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I watched a little bit of Lupin Part 5 myself as well, and it's it's really fun. And I, I did finish up Part 4 finally this year, so I, I did that as well. So, yeah, Lupin, good stuff. Good stuff. Yep. All right, so all of you big fans of uh, of the Shonen Jump series, uh, it is now time to talk about My Hero Academia Season... What was three. this year? Season 3? Three. Woohoo! <laughs> All right, so I will nominate Marissa to kick off that conversation. Oh, okay. Uh, it wasn't on my list, but I loved it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I knew it wasn't, but I knew you liked it anyway, so just go for it, and uh, Andrew and company will oh, jump in. Oh, okay. Um, I was not expecting this. I host my own podcast, and you just throw it at me. Um, so, yeah. 
we got season three of My Hero Academia. It was following the oh hero licensing, and their it was like a training camp, I think. That's what the, the actual title was. So that's the two arcs that we got. Uh, we're starting to lead into some darker themes that are gonna show up in season four, and I cannot wait. Season three was a big old hype train, and I loved it. And we finally got to see two of my favorite characters, but in like the last like three episodes. But mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. Mirio and Tamaki will be more important later on. Mm-hmm. Fine. You know, my hero season three, like uh. It- I didn't quite catch up uh, to the My Hero Train when the first two seasons had come out, uh, so I think I watched like all of season one and then like two thirds of season two in like three days. Uh, but then like by the time, but like through the end of like season two, I was watching it simulcast, you know, which is like which hurts, you know, because like you know My Hero Academia, like even though it is like like in in most ways an excellent you know sort of shonen shonen battle show it it does still have a myriad of cliffhangers which is irritating in some ways and <laughs> effective in others um but uh i really felt that uh season three is sort of let me let me back up a little bit my hero my hero, my hero academia is good at growth so it needs time to do all these certain things and it boy does it take its time so it's very good at sort of like showing like uh, showing us these characters and showing us these heroes in training and like physically and mentally and their characters all of that evolves throughout the entire show because if you look at a picture of Izuku Midoriya on episode one, you know, he's a scrawny little boy. But if you look at a picture of him in season three, he's a buff madman. So it's like, <laughs> so like that is fun to see, and it's something you don't see often. But like, I think season three was good at like getting across sort of more macro, sort of a more macro idea, whereas like seasons one and two sort of felt, I don't want to say condensed. But I want to say, like, more, like, focused on, you know, enemy attacks on uh, UA High School. Uh, And Season 3 sort of showed us this more macro view of, uh, like, what sort of, sort of, like, air quotes what, you know, the League of Villains was trying to do. And I super enjoyed it. And the character work has always been, been super good in that show. Um... And that's something that uh, that I will always enjoy, and it's the only real shonen battle show that I'm really gotten into since like watching Dragon Ball Z on DVD at night on my CRT television. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. Oh my gosh. Uh, um, it was number five for me too, and I do feel like this season's probably my favorite out of all three because the tournament arc was nice but also the whole time you were like this kid is just gonna break himself for the whole season (laughs) yes and then season three is where he like 
starts to kind of come up with his own ideas and like come into his own with his powers and everything and is kind of almost forced to grow up quickly and learn how to use all of his stuff quickly right um and it also does a good job of like building out the world a little bit with like yeah you get licenses and like there's a structure to this whole superpowers thing in our world and i like it mm-hmm. a whole lot mm-hmm. i've heard it commented on many times that like one of the central differences between like american superheroes as compared to uh things like my hero academia and this is not the obviously not the only example is that like american superheroes tend to be like individuals and vigilantes is like a sort of outside of the system like operating outside of it not necessarily as villains but as like heroes that are non not not part of the system outside of it but it seems like Mm -hmm. my hero academia emphasizes the fact that the system has adapted to include sort of heroes as part of the way that they deal with problems Mm -hmm. um so i've always thought that that is uh very fast a very fascinating piece of the world building of uh of my hero academia and seeing all of the the art that people have been doing of deku and miles morales switching shoes <laughs> has just has yeah. because i just saw into the spider-verse like earlier this week and the similarities between those two characters is so like it's so real in some ways because and well it's so real in some ways because they both have you know sort of a struggle and and not necessarily a struggle with evil but a struggle with themselves and I think that's Mm -hmm. what the show does really well Hmm. Uh, as someone who has who wants to watch My Hero Academia but has been too busy watching One Piece uh, (laughs) the giant behemoth uh, based on what you guys have been saying it sounds to me like while they're not at the episode length and that's impossible pacing wise and cliffhanger wise they seem to be turning more into one piece of just like we only have this much material so we're going to instead of doing maybe like two chapters an episode we're going to do one and a half and we're going to do more cliffhangers so that way we can keep it going and while they do seasons uh, where they take breaks I think now that my Hero Academia is in its third season. I think it's turning, as an outsider, it's it seems like it's turning more and more into a typical shonen show where we don't want to catch up completely to the manga, so we're going to do more bite-sized chunks um, so that we can space it out. Yeah, I, I could agree with that for sure. And I feel like um, I'm kind of glad that there's not really that much filler in it too compared to stuff like One Piece where it's like you get two years of filler in joy. Actually, actually, I'm sorry. I have to correct you about One Piece. Uh, We only have like 5% filler compared to like Bleach, which is like 50. That's fair. Phil, but 5% 5 of One Piece... is still a lot yeah <laughs> it's, it's still a lot but but the pacing wise like we don't ever catch up to the manga like they don't ever do super long filler arcs okay like so then bleach like bleach. Used to do. <laughs> i uh 
I, I just a brief little aside. I appreciate how now Bill is referring to One Piece and himself as we, <laughs> <laughs> the royal we. <laughs> he's he's created a symbiotic relationship with the with that stretchy boy Luffy. One Piece uh, is Venom. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Marissa. One of the nice things uh, that p- probably people kind of forget uh, is the mangaka actually has the entire thing planned out, so he didn't start just writing it to write it. He but has so does One Piece. Time. Like, he has an entire plan. I'm sorry. That is, it's way too... I'm sorry, that's... Mm. When you're he drawing something he, out that long... It's it's an epic, man. Can we also talk about how 20... But he also said, like, recently... Because we're only... We're pretty close, anime-wise, to the manga. He says we're about halfway there. So, Woo. compared to a lot of shonen series... It's manageable, which I'm really happy about because I got into Naruto and it became a behemoth and I left immediately. <laughs> I was like, uh-uh, I'm done. I did the same thing with Bleach. I left. I was like, I can't keep up with these series. They're just constantly going and going and going. With Hero Academia and with, I'm going to also include Attack on Titan, they're taking their time because there's really no way to add filler. They have a little bit with Hero Academia, but they're like a little one- episodes here and there to break up some things but they're still little fun just in character episodes but yeah mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons I think I love this series so much is the pacing is just really well and that's why you have these cliffhangers because the manga can knows mm-hmm. he's just snickering in the background going haha I know what that's gonna be but y'all don't I, I want to say, as someone who also really hasn't watched any shonen stuff since Naruto, back in, what, 2005, 2006, something like that, this is the first shonen thing I've got back into, and I feel like it really earns this emotional development more so than Naruto did, and where it felt like mm. after every arc was yet the same thing, like Naruto getting over himself, and Sasuke realizing the power of friendship was really the, you know, the treasure all along, and it seemed like they kept doing that same arc time and time again, till he just got every arc was just the same emotional thing, but with more added on crap and cruft. But with My Hero Academia, I feel like there's actual growth with these characters, I can relate to a lot of them more. Uh, I did appreciate Naruto back in the day doing this thing where they focused on a lot of the side characters, and even though they didn't do it all that great at the, by the end, or at least where I stopped watching, I feel like my hero is doing that a lot better, and I really like seeing the other characters besides just you know the the main character himself. So that's, that's why I still enjoy this 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 show, by uh, the one shonen series I actually care about in 2019. Anybody else have anything they'd like to say about? Uh, Boku no My Hero Academia. I'm the only person in this chat who hasn't watched it. <laughs> and me. Aww. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm super behind myself. Yeah. It's okay. Don't worry. About I just, it. I, I have some feelings, and I'm not going to share them because I don't want to make anybody upset. Because I have stronger feelings to make people upset later on. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to say now. It. But um. Maybe maybe one day I'll actually sit down and watch the show, but it's kind of one of those things where so many people are constantly screaming at me for not watching it that it makes me fall into that I have no interest in this You now. have Bill Syndrome. That's fair. You have Bill Syndrome. <laughs> Bill Syndrome. Right. And it's like, because like no matter how passionate I am about something, like I would never do that to somebody else because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin that for somebody. I'd much rather be like, 
you know, I really love the show. It's okay if you haven't seen it, but I think you would like it. You should watch it, not, oh my god, I'm never talking to you again because you haven't seen Macadamia Nut and Dooku <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> like, I'm yeah. good. I'm good. It's okay. I'll watch it in my own time, maybe. But like I said, I do, I do have some reservations about it, and, you know, hopefully I can get over that one day and actually check it out, because I know it's loved by a lot of people, but, you know... Whatever. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one that has this syndrome. <laughs> no, it's not just you. <laughs> no, I, I, I can agree. I, I've definitely been that guy before and try to do a lot better now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say it's still a shonen show. If you're not into that at all, then I mean, you're, you're still not going to enjoy it if that's not it your has deal. To be, so. It has to be presented to me in the right way, I guess. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I was I was avoiding it for a long time before I sat down and actually started watching it. And yeah, I overcame it that way. I still haven't caught up. But it's uh, season two was, I think, the only show in recent memory that I was able to binge and not mm-hmm. feel tired the entire mm-hmm. time I was binging it. I can't say that about really any other show that I've done that with. But, I mean, other than that, if you don't want to watch it, I'd say it's it's perfectly missable. Right. Yeah, um, I, I was having a conversation with because you talked about like how like people scream in your face about it. And I was having a conversation with one of my friends about this the other day. Uh, because he said like something with respect of like, oh, you haven't seen Rick and Morty? Wow, you should really watch it. Oh, and I was God. like, and I was like, well, I mean, like, you know, I don't, I don't tell you, I don't tell you every day just because you don't watch anime that you should watch this show and this show and this show and this show and this show. Yeah. Because I think like it's sort of like there's there's many different a- approaches to suggesting something, and I mm. don't think that you should watch blank period is. A, a good way to do that um mm-hmm. and i don't need i i think that isn't endemic of a fandom i think that is just endemic of humans um because we want to share common experiences that's right. sort of that's sort of our yeah. mo mm-hmm. so yeah. like and entertainment is an experience that we yes. all sort of share so uh i think there are so many things that you can do to get people to watch certain series without necessarily saying hey you should watch this and if you don't you're bad or something like totally there are so many like like other ways to approach people and to get people interested in things that do not involve necessarily blatant you know sort of like heavy-handed recommendations Right. It's like, and the moment, the moment you start screaming at me, like I'm, I'm tuning you out, and like, that's it. But moving on. <laughs> all right. So I think that pretty much wraps up all we have to say, all, all the time we have for uh, My Hero Academia for right now. So let's move on to the next one, which is actually one that we did a podcast on back in the first uh, quarter of uh, 2018. Uh, Batman Ninja. Uh, this one made my top five personally, and uh, we talked about it a lot in that episode. But I just wanted to briefly go over that again. So, uh, Batman Ninja was a uh, movie that came out uh, earlier in 2018. It is a uh, movie made by the same people who did the animation for the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure openings, uh, which is some of the uh, best-looking, like, cool CG out there that's not, like, Land of the Lesser style. It's still very, like, uh, like sketchy, boxy-looking. It's it's what Berserk 2016 should have been. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, uh, and Batman Ninja, uh, it looks like that. It looks really fun. It's a completely CG show, but it's got a great visual style that is... 
incredibly well executed with the uh, interesting designs of the costumes for all the different characters like Batman, the Joker, Harley Quinn, Catwoman, all that wonderful rogues gallery appears in that movie. And uh, it's just really fun. It's written by Kazuki Nakashima, who was the scriptwriter for Gurren Lagann and Kill la Kill. So as you could probably assume, it is like absolutely incredibly insane. And there's like a giant Joker mech and a giant like weird uh, creature created out of bats and monkeys. So it's like super wild. <laughs> okay. and. Uh, Yep. And, uh, back back in that episode, Marissa did a good breakdown of like mm-hmm. the uh, historical parallels in that movie, and uh, yeah, Marissa Batman Ninja fun. was just a, a massive massive highlight for my anime anime um, watching in 2018, and I really didn't expect it to be. Um, I thought it, I expected it to be like good and entertaining, um, but you know, it, I liked it so much that it had to be in my top five. I just thought it was awesome, and it's something that I think has a lot of rewatchability and um it's got some it's got stuff that can appeal to people that are very strict batman fans and it's got stuff that can appeal to you if you're not really a fan of american comic books and you're just mainly an anime fan i think that you could probably watch batman ninja and still get something out of it and find some entertainment there so it's really Mm -hmm. good the um kind of the thing i got out of the film touching on that was it was kind of their way of trying to introduce uh, Japan more to the concept of Batman, because Batman and DC Comics and Marvel have existed, but Batman hasn't been in the spotlight as heavily as other Western superheroes, like Spider-Man and like. And it was their way of just kind of being like, oh, we're going to grab bits and pieces from Batman that a lot of people will know, and we're gonna put a Japanese twist on it. So for a lot of diehard Batman fans, this isn't Batman, because uh, he is so self-reliant on his tech, and that's not Batman. Batman could adapt to any situation, but it was just kind of their way of showing the character and trying to introduce Batman to Japanese audiences. So mm-hmm. I do like an entire panel that talks about this. <laughs> Which I find kind of funny, because Batman has had a bunch of Elseworlds stories about what if Batman was in uh, the 1800s? What if Batman was a cowboy? Like, there's been a ton of Batman, but what ifs in the, in DC Comics throughout the years. So the this isn't Batman argument, I think, is a little bit of elitism. Well, it's not like the Batman everyone knows, but there's obviously different types of Batman. So it was... I worded that weird. Sorry. <laughs> I do a better job of it when I go over my panel. So. Right. Well, I'm I'm just saying like, it's it's a really f- interesting and fun take on Batman that yeah. just if you want if you like your traditional Batman that you've seen in the Christopher Nolan movies, I highly recommend just going out of your comfort zone and trying this one out. He's more goofy. Giant and I say as someone who's suffered through severe Batman fatigue, who could not care about the batted man any any less, <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, especially as a Gurren Lagann, you know, giant robot fan. It's just it's just a lot of dumb fun. And even if you yeah. don't really, you don't really jive with Batman and the more that they're really gritty, you know, uh, sort of I guess like a, a paradigm you get with a lot of those stories. This movie is still a lot of fun to watch and would recommend it. 
it has the audacity to be absolutely ridiculous, and yeah. I think that's one of its greatest strengths, honestly. <laughs> it is very, very silly. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, so next up on our list is another thing that we also did a podcast on, Megalobox. Bill, do you want to talk about Megalobox a bit? Actually, I think Tobias should talk about it. That is his baby. Sure. sure. Um, yeah, I think Megalobox, uh, we talked so much about it in that podcast and the articles I've written. Just please go check those out if you want to get a more in-depth dive into the show. But the thing about Megalobox, I feel like it's very much uh, a modern classic. I feel this is something that uh, but uh, between the popularity online and between coming out on Toonami now with the dub, I feel like this is something that really could re- uh, resonate with anime fandom as a whole. Uh, just like, for example, Cowboy Bebop did, and it's been compared a lot to that for a couple different reasons. But uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a really great both sci-fi story and you know sports story and all also this uh, these elements of this class of struggle with these characters there they're just really compelling um yeah I, there's i think the only sports anime i've watched in recent memory that's still made me tear up by the end uh, even though the story's a little cliche at parts you know of, of course the good guy's gonna win at the end at uh, what stakes you know who knows i'm not gonna spoil that but uh, it's still very compelling. I still find myself cheering these guys on and really like pumping my fist in the air in front of my television, home alone, as any normal <laughs> adult would do. Uh, yeah, it's just got that effect. And it's just, like I said, modern classic. I still think it's going to hold up a few years down the road. How about that soundtrack? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. And I think uh, one thing we may mention later with Devil Man, and 2018 is definitely the year of Japanese hip-hop in anime. Mm. Uh, I think there's three major examples, all of which made it on this list to some degree. And it, there's a really banging track uh, later, in, like the final arc, presented by one of our main characters. That's oh, it just makes that makes that scene so so well. Yeah, Megalobox is a lot of fun. I I maybe didn't connect with it as deep as maybe you and Bill did, but I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And uh, just watching Junk Dog's journey was just, you know, enjoyable from start to finish. Really great show. Completely agree. Yep. So to move on to something that is almost identical to Megalobox, uh, some of you guys were really into Idolish 7 this year. That was yeah. that was my attempt. That was my attempt at a joke. It's, it's <laughs> well. Here's watch. the thing, though. It's like Idol of Seven was actually created by the director um, as something of almost like in a sports anime esque presentation. Like Idol of Seven is the sports anime of Idol anime in a way. It's a good analogy. Elaborate. Okay. Um, Please elaborate. It's something that the director uh, said in an interview that's somewhere on the internet. Um, but, uh, yeah, essentially, um, Bandai Namco and the writer of the game went to the director and said, make it, make this anime. And he was like, I don't do idle anime. And they were like, we want you to make it not in the style of normal idle anime. Not to put down idle anime, though. But... Um, 
yeah, I don't know. It was just a really good segue that you said that because I was like, ha, actually, reversal <laughs> of fortune on you. I um, set up my own well, actually scenario. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, Idolist 7 is an idol anime about male idols and a female manager and them trying to break into the business as a seven-person idol group, complete with lots of entertainment-related drama and rival groups and all that good stuff. Yeah. And it's really good. And oh, it yeah. was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Marissa, it's also in your top five. Yes, it is in my top five. Uh, I know you, you played the game before the anime came out. Yes. Yeah, I um, started at the same time. <laughs> this summer, um, our really good friend Jessie came back from Japan, and I was hanging out with her for, like, way too much of her time. Uh, <laughs> and she was only here for, like, maybe a week and a half. Whoops. I'm sorry, Jessie's mom. I love you. Uh, I was there for, like, four <laughs> days. Uh, but Jessie was like, oh, hey, um, just, like, you should, you should try maybe watching it. I know, like, kind of sore off idol anime because of it is a pit of, of misery and hell and you fall <laughs> into it and it just pulls you down and you're like okay nope gotta get out and you reach out and you're like okay we're not going back in there Utapri was no I didn't like the last season so I kind of like swore off idol anime and I was like okay we'll watch it so we were watching on Crunchyroll and I was like these boys are actually really well written Really They're well human beings. They're it's human amazing. Beings. The only thing that doesn't make any <laughs> sense is the bunny. But yeah, it's fair. Uh, it's the only thing. Um, God, I can't remember her name. She makes a cute sound. But that's the only thing that's unrealistic compared to a lot of idol anime, and they're you can relate to them. Uh, Riku suffers from like asthma or something like that. Yep. He has to use an inhaler, and you're just like why do we never touch on this uh dealing with anxiety uh with sogo and tons of family drama and with like tamaki and you're just like these boys have so many layers and depth and there's brothers on the team which mm -hmm. as well which is really nice and they're sarah and i's favorite characters yeah. uh, but just the well-roundedness of it and the fact that the rival group kind of seems like a big old jerk like they all seem like jerks and then later on you're like no, they're actually good people as well. They're just a lot more serious because they've been in this business for a while. And mm -hmm. you start to really respect them as well. And I was just like, I'm hooked. I love this series so much. Um, the cast is great, and I can't wait for season two because uh, we get reveal. <laughs> Momo and Yuki on the big screen. That's going to be a big old party. But... Uh, <laughs> Bill, I know, pointed out on Twitter, he was like, why are there 17 episodes of Idolish 7? Well, their nickname is I7. Oh, jeez. One seven. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really... <laughs> yes, I thought it was really weird, too. I was like, why is it 17 episodes? That's a really yeah. weird number. Are you even, like, allowed to do that? Yeah, and, uh, like, yes. January 7th is always a big day for announcements mm -hmm. because it's 1-7 and all of that stuff, too, so... Yep. They roll with it a, big time. Yeah, we'll see if it's a coincidence in season two, but I'm pretty certain it's going to be 17 episodes as well. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I've got to say about uh, the good boys that I have fallen into. I have now 
opens closet. Uh, <laughs> four? No, three. Three albums. About three albums. I got the Idolish 7 album and then two of their singles. Um, nice. Yeah. And I have an entire Eda bag for Eori. Yay! <laughs> Exciting. Yes. It's a good series. And it's actually, for those of you who are, like you said, it isn't written like an anime, like an no. idol anime. Yeah. Which helps so much because that was one of the things I didn't like was the tropiness of idol anime. Right. Uh, there's a lot of like personal drama in it there's a lot of like competition and yeah mm. yeah actually it's not just I, like friendship all the time but oh yeah actually um sarah your uh champing of it made me start watching it recently and i think you guys have hit the nail on the head so far with it's not into the idle tropes that you would see in other series and one thing that i really appreciate of idols idolish seven is that the male group has a female manager slash producer, which is a nice change of pace because it's always a male uh, manager producer, like that's how it was with Idolmaster Side M, which is the Idolmaster male group. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also just that, even though she's their manager, I was she's also kind of like their friend, and that they are helping her. Um, the group is helping her manage things as as it goes along, like um, Yori. Uh, the the quiet um, type is kind of helps her with advice throughout the show from what I've seen and, yeah. it, and it has its um, tropey moments like the rival president of the other idol group is straight up a Yakuza, Yakuza dude who <laughs> technically not really but yeah, yeah. kind of <laughs> the, the, the way his voice sounds he could be in mm-hmm. a Yakuza game for Sega <laughs> so, to be honest uh, he's not as bad as one of the head, like head people for one of the other companies. Yeah, that the you big see. bads just keep getting bigger and badder. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Yeah, no, because season two is going to follow story two, which there's really mm-hmm. not a big bad. Which is it's, coming out next year just, sometime. It's more fun, and season mm. three is going to be heartbreaking. Hopefully, um, we get there. Also, the president's animal slash creature. That's basic. That's I think that's Cubay from Madoka Magica, but in a different <laughs> form. The contract. Uh, and uh, my only complaint about Idolist 7 is, and this is the same complaint for Zombieland Saga, which we'll get to later, is I hate the transition of animation style where it, it has a specific animation style throughout most of the show, but then once they get to the concert stuff, it goes to straight up CGI that I would see on the mobile game. And I, I really hate that. I just, I get that you're going to that method to probably save money. Because yep. when you're singing and dancing, that's it's a lot more animation. But I just, I don't, it's an awkward transition that I just cannot get past. That's fair. I think that's a crux in a lot of idol anime is that they want to do the performance in CG, but they also want to do close-up shots in like 2D, mm-hmm. and they want to find a way to balance that, but it's still well, just a work in progress. Yeah, because you watch the music videos, like the far back shots, like it's really beautifully fluid, like the dancing, mm-hmm. but then when you try to do like those zoom-ins, like you said, they get dead-eye. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you don't I, get the emotion, because it's just, it's just a model, so yeah, go ahead, Bill. And, and I guess I, I've also been spoiled because the first Idol show I ever watched was the OG Idolmaster show from 2011 where CG wasn't as prevalent, where it's all uh, one animation style um, throughout all the concert footage that happens. 
Right. And so I've just, it's through my spoiled eyes of, well, it's not, it's not the same thing. Why isn't it the same thing? Why do you spoil at me? <laughs> well, it, it's, I, it's not, but uh, <laughs> I, from, for, it's been pretty much the first idol show that and Zombieland Saga that I've actually really enjoyed since the original OG Idolmaster anime. And uh, that takes a lot for me to enjoy uh, an idol show because, like you said, Sarah, idol shows have their specific tropiness that once you watch one, you've seen it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to echo Bill and that, uh, you know, I don't, not really my genre. I tend to just experience it through uh, my friend's post on social media. And that's pretty much my extent of interest in all these different shows. But I think if nothing else, if nothing else, this supposed uh, trigger collaboration will probably push me over the edge. Right. And make me watch yes. Boy Idols. Um, also, oh, we've mentioned Land of the Lustrous off and on throughout this podcast, I think. And um, the company that did that entire show is doing a PV for Idolish 7 sometime Whoa. this year as well. Which so one? they're grabbing a lot of out. interesting animation companies to do their PVs for their singles, even outside of the TV show. So it's worth Sweet. checking them out. Sarah, which one is That's it? That's awesome. Um, I don't know yet. I think it's for like a yet announced okay. song, maybe. I we'll saw see. it recently on Twitter. It's, is it called Studio Orange? Yeah, it's on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So next year there's going to be a Trigger single with Studio Trigger, Iris 7 with um, Studio Orange, and then also uh, UFO Tables doing Rivale, which is a third group that's going to be more in season two. I can't wait for that. So. And, every, and every member of the group is going to get Saber Face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, the next one here on the list is uh, one that Andrew watched and was kind of surprised by. So could you tell me about this show, mm-hmm. Andrew? Well, Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai takes the cake for legit the worst title (laughs) of any show Mm -hmm. that came out in 2018. Oh, those light novel titles. Like, goodness gracious. Like, it, okay, it's not about a rascal. Well, it's kind of about a rascal, but it's not about a bunny girl at all, even though it, she appears, like, twice. You, but, like, uh, I, <sighs> Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai is sort of... I, I've heard it a lot. I haven't seen any of the Monogatari series, but uh, I've often heard it... I've often heard them sort of, like, uh, described next to each other and uh, compared and contrasted to. Hmm. <laughs> But uh, Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai is essentially about, uh, how do I put this? I try and avoid, avoid like, uh, referencing, like, specific characters and, and such, but it's, it's essentially about, like, the struggles of, the struggles of high school and the struggles of, sort of, teenage life and this, sort of, uh, Japanese affiliation with the the supernatural and your teenage years uh like for example uh one of the girls in the show uh she experiences cyberbullying but 
it isn't manifested, you know, but it but cyberbullying in the show manifests itself as physical wounds like on her body. Um so it sort of takes like this sort of like your name idea of stuff supernatural happens when you're a teenager and, and sort of takes it and applies it to sort of more real world things. Um so uh and like one girl is a celebrity who one day figures out that she uh or one day decides that she doesn't want to be in the in the celebrity business anymore and uh a result of that is that she slowly like every like a few days every now and then she won't be visible to anybody because like she as a character like as herself is not visible as a person she is visible as a celebrity and sort of the oh interesting the ideas that sort of go along with that and it's just like a bunch of sort of like uh it's a very short show it's 13 episodes and it's split up into arcs of these like sort of different situations that is called sort of like puberty syndrome is what it's called i think that's a better name for the show anyway or adolescence syndrome (laughs) One and uh, it's very sweet. The character development's very good. The relationship between the main guy and the main girl is is very good. Uh, I've heard I've heard uh, the main character described often as sort of like irritating or kind of a, a dick sometimes, but I I don't see it. Uh, he just more sort of sees the world as you know black and white as opposed to seeing it. In, many shades of gray and he often speaks his mind in terms of things but uh yeah it was one that i super enjoyed and super really didn't expect to i sort of watched it out of morbid curiosity because uh you know i've been fooled before but uh i saw like rascal does not dream bunny girl senpai i was like oh this looks dumb let me watch it and then uh i watched the first episode and i was like well well this isn't uh this isn't dumb is it and then i was by myself in my apartment know sort of talking to myself about how not dumb it was but no i super enjoyed it uh it was, it was very good I actually yeah the way you pitched that um that sounds a lot like the monogatari series mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. um in structure but yeah go ahead tori oh i'm i'm actually very curious because i trust your opinion on things and it's funny because a lot of the people that i follow on twitter i also trust their opinion on things usually and just hearing the like stark contrast of like what you say versus like what other people say because a lot of the criticisms I heard were like, it's basically a watered-down Monogatari, <laughs> but not like Monogatari is the epitome of culture or anything. Right. Um, and that, yeah, the main character was insufferable, and what was the other thing? It was like a lot of people were talking about how it had um, kind of some good ideas and like good, good... Um, they were trying to say good things, I guess, but they just weren't quite making it so I think this is probably going to be one of those shows that I break my rule of and just try to watch it um, mm-hmm. because I know you've you're kind of like me and you're kind of picky about what you watch so I feel like I guess if you like it that it's worth giving a shot because um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm very curious mm-hmm. yeah I think uh, I, I saw I, I get some people's arguments against it uh, mm-hmm. but uh, I I, I I don't. I don't feel that the main character was ever insufferable. Um, mm-hmm. That's one that I don't understand. But uh, okay. I would love to have a have a conversation with somebody that that does think he's insufferable, and I'll yeah. listen to whatever they have to say. 
I mean, whatever. But, like, uh, I super, like, I haven't seen any of the Monogatari series again, so, uh, like, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a watered-down version of Monogatari. But uh, I think the, the strength of that show does not lie in plot. Uh, and I think that's a problem that a lot of shows like this run into, is that they get tied up into plot. Um, mm -hmm. And plot is not necessarily... Well, plot may be in some cases more important than character, but in most cases it is not. Um, right. So putting sort of like character development and character interaction above like, you know, plot or anything else is always important. And I think that Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai gets that. Mm -hmm. um, like more than perhaps any other like what I would call like shoujo drama would, would, okay. would sort of do because... Uh, Many of those shows sort of rely on a on a, on a set of set of items that mm -hmm. uh, th that they have to work with. But uh, it, this this show seemed to have a lot of really interesting ideas that come through. Not the the ideas themselves aren't the most important thing. Okay. Uh, so like the fact that uh, a girl who has sort of she sort of lives two different lives the fact that she eventually splits into two people isn't necessarily mm -hmm. important but the reasons why and the reasons behind each of these per people's existence okay. is more important than perhaps the actual act of them existing so uh yeah i think that the show does a lot of things really well and uh i would love to hear people's complaints i don't know I'm, mm -hmm. not, I'm I'm game. I'm not a not a <laughs> not a weenie. <laughs> That's what a weenie would say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next one here, we kind of touched on a little bit earlier. Tori, uh, Tori explained to us what it was about. But uh, here's uh, Sarune. <laughs> Um, Tsurune kind of like, for me, slipped in under the radar at the very end of the year. Uh, it kind of started later in the fall, but it's another KyoAni show. Surprise! Mm. Um, <laughs> and this time it's actually about archery. Um, I just have a love of KyoAni sports anime, it seems like. But as always, KyoAni's shows are beautifully animated and designed and the characters are just really interesting to see how they're just subtly growing even characters that you didn't think were going to necessarily have growth they all start to grow i don't want to like spoil too much because i know there's some people that um are planning on watching it and haven't watched it or have only gotten like a couple of episodes in but if you it's kind of a sports anime, but it's more of the slice of life um, going on behind it, like Free was. The, the swimming was just the method of getting these characters to interact and develop. And that's the same thing with the archery. Uh, so, yeah, I really don't know what else to say about Tsurune. Uh, Verdict's still a little bit out because it's still technically not done. There's 
just got an episode like this week and we're into 2019 mm-hmm. and we're into the winter season but QAnnie don't care QAnnie's <laughs> just gonna do whatever it wants QAnnie just keeps rolling mm-hmm. yep. keeps on rolling yep. you betcha mm-hmm. but it kind of oh go ahead but the, I'm just going to give a little bit about the main character because you kind of get it from the summary. But the main character suffers from um, target panic, which is he, when he goes to pull back the bow, like it, he fires before he is intending to. So it's kind of showing how to deal with the anxiety of performing on in front of people and just the issues that are plaguing his mind, which is being... Um, shown through his inability to actually do archery anymore so it's his journey with the rest of his team and you even get a lot of character development from masa who's eventually going to play a bigger role i don't know if tori knows his role a bit more. i've only seen that three episodes so okay um you got the weird the funny shock of ghost masa <laughs> so i'm gonna say yeah what? yeah that <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna say anything because it gives it away, but whatever. Um, he's one of my favorite characters, and we just got a lot of character development from him in this recent episode that just came out, so. We'll it, um... Runs. Yeah, it kind of snuck up on me, too. Like, I just happened to be, like, browsing through Tumblr one night, which, haha, joke's on me, right? And, um... <laughs> what is Tumblr? <laughs> I saw a uh, image set of one of the characters and I was very intrigued. I was like, ooh, what's this? And I, it didn't click with me right away from the character design that it was QAnnie because it kind of looks just a little bit different, um, at least to me, than their other stuff. And um, it, it hooks me right away. And It's not so much a sports anime, it feels like, um, as, much of, as much as it is a slice of life. Because as much as I like sports anime, I find after a while they can kind of fall into that same, like, friendship, yeah, gotta yell, friendship, yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of like that shonen stuff, like, trope, too. I think it pulls a lot from that. Um, but with Serene, it just feels like all of the um, all of the struggles and feelings are more natural than what you would see in typical, um, like sports stuff i'm making air quotes even though you can't see me um and i kind of like like that about that because even though it's like sports is the background focus the the interactions and the dynamic between all of the characters feels good um and not that we don't see that in sports anime in general but like it's not as it's not as over the top i suppose and that makes it kind of like super appealing i think Mm -hmm. a lot more natural Mm mm-hmm how the characters progress through everything. And also the nice thing about archery is that when they're shooting, it's silent. <laughs> so you don't have everyone <laughs> shouting on the edge. The only time they'll do it is when they hit the... They either get on the target or they hit, um, like, a bullseye. You'll yeah. hear the people, like, say, like, a word. And that's it. It's like golf. Right. Yeah, I was about to say, so uh, KyoAni's going to make a golf's anime, right? <laughs> After two episodes, though, I was, like, looking up archery classes because I was like, ooh, this, this looks really, like... I think I was messaging Austin. I was like, is it bad that I want to, like, go do archery now? Because it seems really, like, involved and, like, a very yeah. mindful activity. And, like, I need more of that in my life. But I'd probably quit after, like, two lessons. 
Another I remember thing. that because uh, I don't think you had told me that you were watching Sarune at the time, and uh-huh. I and you said something about archery classes. I'm like, oh, Tori's probably checked out Sarune. <laughs> <laughs> but another thing, I just thought about this when it came to because the archery matches are silent, but they're really not. What is there in the background? The music. The music. I usually don't pay attention as much to background music because it's just so subtle. Um, but you notice it in Tsurune, and it's really well, and it impacts, it, it's, it really does tell the story during those silent moments as they're going through their thought process when they're lined up to do the group um, shooting thing that they do later on in the series. You'll run into that, and it's just incredible. Um, you normally usually notice loud music during, like, big shonen moments you're like oh that was an epic theme but you don't really notice the really subtle beautiful background music that's going on and this definitely has it all right cool uh so next up uh sarah tell us about uh review starlight Starlight uh, was an honorable mention for me. It didn't quite hit into the top five for me. Um, (laughs) It's all good. Uh, And I know, I feel like we're going to do a more in-depth discussion on it sometime in the future eventually in our lives. So I don't want to unpack all of my feelings about it. But okay, it's a group of girls who go to a school for I guess essentially theater and they do theater things and it's really cool except there's this whole underground underlying I don't even know what it technically is but it's essentially like a system that doles out talent to certain people more so than others if they can win a like stage sword fight underground under the school and it's just a whole lot of like visual metaphor and like up to interpretation kind of stuff, but it's really interesting to watch and really cool. Um, big Utena vibes. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's really interesting too in that the 2.5, like the whole 2.5D boom, the whole like anime stage play boom that's been happening mm, has yeah. fueled it a lot. Uh, the stage play for it came out months before the anime did too. Um, and then the second stage play is coming out soon. And there's differences between the stage play and the anime as well. Um, and the same actors play the characters in the show and on the stage, which is really weird to me. And I feel like because of that, maybe the stage show might be I don't want to say dumbed down because there's definitely a lot of fight choreography in it and stuff but I I gotta see that stage show to know what <laughs> the deal is but I don't got $200 or $80 I think it might be like 80 bucks for the um like Blu-rays of it um, yeah but, most Blu-rays for stage plays are about $80 yeah it's, <laughs> I have it gets one nice is it token rambu yeah Yeah. (laughs) um but yeah it's a really interesting show and there's a lot of things i like about it there's a lot of things that i wish it had balanced better between the real life stuff and the whole um underground fighting stuff 
I just feel like there could have been a better balance there somehow. I don't know, mm -hmm. but but it's worth a shot for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I checked it out just very, very briefly. I watched maybe the first one or two episodes, and that was enough to tell me at least that this was something that I was really going to be interested in because I'm super fascinated by... Um, by things like this, like super wild concepts tied to music in some way and tied to performance in some way. And this, a lot of the setup of that show is a synergy of those, of all of those things that I like. Um, so even though you said it, it, it's not a perfect show, I'm still like highly, highly interested in checking it out. And hopefully we can do a podcast on specifically that show sometime later this year. Yeah. All right. So uh, next up, I think it made on Bill and Andrew's top five, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, Takagi-san. So, uh, Bill, do you want to introduce Takagi-san? You guys uh, tell us about that. Takagi-san is part comedy, part romance, where it's these a boy and a girl, uh, where the main crux of the show is they all are always trying to one-up each other in, uh, these kind of mind games, uh, and pranks, but, uh, <laughs> the guy in the show, he, he's always overthinking, and he's, he, he gets fooled by Takagi, uh, who's the girl of the show, so much that it just becomes a bit of a running joke, and there's also hints of romantic feelings for each other uh what i just love about the show is the character dynamics between them between the two of them of them just tr uh playing tricks on each other and just the mental mind the mental gymnastics that the main guy will go over and like well what does she mean by doing this what does she mean by doing that and so it's all in his you hear thoughts in his head and it's just really it's really fun and just the how he can get so embarrassed at times like he gets he's into this kind of girl uh, manga that's more for women and girls and so he's he tries to hide his fandom for it but she finds out and he's like oh no uh but she's actually a big fan of it too uh, yeah no it's a uh... And uh, I think an important thing to, to to mention is that they're both in elementary. Well, are they in middle school? They're in middle school. Sorry. Yeah, they're in middle um, school. And I think like uh, one one thing uh, when I first saw Forehead Sean, I was like, uh, <laughs> I, I essentially said to myself, just like, okay, time out. Is this gonna be super creepy? I have to know now. Uh, and then when I started watching the show, I was you know delighted to say, no, it is not super creepy. Um, it is only super sweet, and uh, I think I have a trend in all of my favorite shows, and it seems to be that like uh, they're all very sort of simple in terms of structure, and but explore explore depth and character. Um, and I don't want to I don't want to keep going on about mm -hmm. that, but uh, but no, Takagi-san was a, a sort of surprise to me. Um, I I really super duper enjoyed like how uh, like how the characters interacted with each other, and even the minor characters are are, are interesting in their interactions, and uh, it's sort of like playing on these uh, sort of uh, childish feelings of like 
what is love and what is icky you know like uh yeah. it 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 it, it, uh, it asks those questions and it answers the, those questions and uh it's really it's really interesting to see like how that is ex- explored uh with, within that show and uh i, I super enjoyed uh, watching it i forget when it came out but it was earlier this year yeah but uh sure. i think i talked about it on a previous episode um but I really, I super enjoyed that show. Oh, also, um, fun fact to tie it back to our idol conversation: the manga creator of Takagi Sun based Takagi off um, Yori from Idol Master. So, <gasps> I can yes. so see it. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense now. The forehead. So, yeah, the forehead and the hair. The forehead and the hair. So yeah, in you could kind of pretend in universe that. Takagi Sun is Yori from Idol Master in your mental head. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Andrew, I completely agree with your thoughts of just like the innocent and cuteness of just the, the mental mind games they play with each other. And it's all like sweet and innocent things. It's nothing vicious that I, I was probably yeah. making it sound out to be. Uh, but no, it's a, if you like cute um, character interactions... Uh, I th- this is the show for you. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. All right, so the next one up here is another sort of example of this sort of uh, neo-retro trend in uh, anime of, like, uh, older franchises being revisited and reimagined and then uh, and uh, older things being picked up and adapted sometimes for the first time. Uh, this would be an example with uh, Banana Fish. So, uh, Marissa, can you tell us about Banana Fish? <laughs> Can I tell you about Banana Fish? Uh, I don't like to list things, but in my little, like, arbitrary numbering, um, it's my favorite anime of the year. Hands down. Um, Even though, yes, it had some bad publicity at the very beginning because of the way they handled some wording. (laughs) Um, Tori and I kind of had a conversation about this at AWA a while ago, but it, um, (laughs) it completely... You can throw that out the window because the entire rest of the series is beautiful. Um, It takes place, um, your main character, Eiji, he kind of hit a slump when it came to university stuff, so he's doing an internship over in the U.S. Well, he got brought over um, to help a journalist, Japanese journalist, interview uh, Ash Links, who is a known gang leader. So it involves gangs and crimes in Brooklyn and in New York. AG gets tangled in all of the crazy weirdness that is going on surrounding this drug called Banana Fish. Yes, it's a drug. and it, So that's where the name comes from. Uh-huh. I did not know that until just right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the name of the drug that it causes everything to just spiral down and... It's hard to explain the series without spoiling. Um, just if you like drama series that kind of it's like 
Yuri on Ice and number six had a baby in New York City and involved gangs. That is <laughs> the perfect that. summary of Banana Fish. I gotta watch it. So Dararara. It sounds Dararara-ish. It's not as comedic. Um, there's some funny moments, but as soon as there's something funny, something immediately um, sad or harsh will hit these um, these two guys and their group of friends and the the Ashes group, his gang. Um, it touches on a lot of harsh topics with um, corruption in the government, um, the corruption of gangs in New York and just gangs in general, uh, pedophilia, child trafficking, drug use. Um, need I say more? Um, it's a really harsh. It's a really harsh show, and it doesn't start out like that. And then by about midway through, it just takes a nosedive um it you you mean that in a in a good in a good way way. like the story (laughs) starts and the story starts like it starts getting darker like it just is like oh it's kind of happy sort of what's going on and drop like immediately just everything goes bad for everyone at that point they're on the run from like the police from the gangs from everything um if you're looking for a happy ending, you're not going to find one. That's all I'm saying. Uh, uh, but I usually don't have like a list of my favorite endings and um, openings because I usually skip through them, but because my computer is... Oh, criminal. <laughs> I, wa- I listen to them once, and then I'm, I skip it. Uh, ah. But I... I because my computer has recently Lappy is getting on an age. Uh, I can't skip through. <laughs> I can't skip through them anymore because uh, loading issues. Once I start to, it just doesn't like me. So it has some of the best opening ending themes. Um, I had Jesse listen to the ending theme of part two, and it's just this hopeless kind of sounding story. And it's beautiful. And I don't know, really know how to describe it because it gives me chills every single time I listen to it. And because even though they had like 24 episodes, you never saw the ending sequence, like the actual ending sequence, except maybe twice because they used it for the ending. But you got the ending theme during everything. And you're just like, I don't need this in my life right now. Please don't. Oh. There, someone got shot again. Great. Uh, <laughs> so it's a it's a really good story. A lot of people I saw tons of memes about like who is that? It was like this show showed me patience. This show showed me love. This show showed me something else. It, it, it was using Uranites, Banana Fish, and Number Six because there is an underlying, very subtle, possible romance between the two main characters, but they're that's not the main story. The main story is just the two of them struggling and growing through the events that are going on. Um, being chased by a creepy, creepy Italian man. Yeah, we don't like him. Uh, cool. But yeah, cool. that's kind of Banana Fish in a nutshell without spoilers. Because the entire show would be spoilers. <laughs> I'd give any more than awesome. just the weird name of the show. 
Right. Yeah, All right. So uh, you mentioned romance a couple of times. So uh, Tori, uh, take it away with "Bloom Into You," which you just finished like five minutes ago, right? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> This is going to be the most that I talk during this entire segment. You can hear my notebook wrestling because <laughs> I wrote a wrote a whole page of uh, notes on this show. Heck yeah! Um, so this one like sort of semi snuck up on me. I had a friend recommend it um, maybe a month or so ago, and I was like, okay, um, I know I know what to expect uh, when I sit down to watch a. LGBT friendly show uh, but this one actually really really caught me off guard um, by how well done it is and this is my segment where I get uh, brave and controversial uh, channeling big Eric Andre energy um, so much so much LGBT content when it comes to manga and anime and things like that just I have a hard time with it um, because it's either not well written it's straight up one character assaulting another character into love um, things like that and that's just not that's not what we need as representation um, Bloom Into You I think is a good companion piece to something like Yuri on Ice because it's the the other end of the spectrum it's two high school girls not two adult men and yuri series usually don't have a good track record either um i remember being like super excited for citrus never read the manga and then come to find out it's incestuous <laughs> and like um one quote-unquote sister forcing herself onto the other and that's just that's not okay that's not fun that's not good <laughs> um Especially when I feel like a lot of, you know, LGBT, pe LGBT people are already seen as, like, the negative stereotype of, like, predatory and things like that. But, um, anyway, I digress. Bloom Into You is very good. It was written by a woman, um, which is already off to a good start. Um, we have two main characters. Um, one is named Yu, and she has never felt any kind of, like... Uh, reciprocation for um, like a confession, like a love confession, but she really wants to, like she genuinely wants to feel love. Um, and then the other main character, uh, Nanami, and she just is like, I don't care about anyone, I'm not dating anyone, I got my life to live, it's good. So um, it kind of is just a little bit of tropey there. Um, I think it sounds like kind of like a lame and generic setup, but I it works very well. And the two kind of um, build their relationship through little shared moments um so like holding hands or resting each other resting their head on each other's shoulder or like in their lap and then it gets really scandalous they kiss a couple times um <laughs> hide the children yeah exactly <laughs> but it's it's never this show never plays it off as like sexualized or gazy or anything like that like it's two people you know genuinely trying to figure out who they are 
and is this right? Um, there's no suffering for the sake of suffering. Um, they even touch on like really two important things, which I never really see, at least in the romance anime that I've watched, which is like just not needing to be in a relationship to be happy. And like that is genuinely okay. Um, there's even a character who um, very much so feels that way. He explains, you know, I would rather see two people come together and be happy or like I bring them together and they're in love and they're happy. I don't need that for myself. Like I'm okay with, you know, just being there as support. And I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> um, they touch on like homophobia just a little bit um, with one of the other characters who actually is revealed that like she's into girls as well. So to see that kind of like uh, internalize self-hatred a little bit be discussed I think is very important too because that is something that people go through in real life um, on a much worse scale I think um, the main character her family is pretty cool with it um, her <laughs> dad's kind of like oh don't do that you'll give me a heart attack but um, you know seeing seeing the family like support her was really good I just kissed my fingers like a little chef um yep. <laughs> shout out to uh remy from <laughs> um and they talk about later on um even though it's a short show like i'm sorry i'm just going off i really really love the show um like even for it to be only 13 episodes i think the character development was handled very well um and they talk about things like you know how does this person love me if i can't love myself um like grief, loss, uh, self-identity, like sense of self. And those are kind of like really heavy things, I think, to tackle in any form of media. And um, it kind of, it, it does it well. And um, you has a really noble mission of like, albeit it's a bit selfish and she acknowledges that and they don't idealize it at all. She like really wants to help Nanami not hate herself. Um, She's like, you can't tell me to hate what I like. And I'm just like, okay, I'm crying. Hold on. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of like culminates with a subplot of like the student council bringing back a play for um, uh, to put on for the school. And so she gets like really sneaky and has the girl who was writing it rewrite it so she can uh, share her feelings to Nanami and be like, you're fine, it's okay, you don't have to hate yourself. And I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> um, but um, there's even like, uh, I think it handles like a love triangle well too. And like, you know, you never, it's always like not well done in most romance animes. It leads to a lot of like um, bad misunderstandings and like cringiness sometimes, but um, it's handled well in the show. There's like a really great example of like, an older lesbian couple, um, which is nice to see, and it's just a dang good show, and I think it's more of what we need when it comes to representation done in a really good way and not just like for fan service or things like that. It's like people, you know, who identify like me and others on the, you know, LGBT front, like, we need this. This is what we need. <laughs> And that's all awesome. I got. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing. <laughs> all right. Uh, so next up, we're going to toss the ball back to Marissa. I'm not sure hey if yo. anybody else checked out this show, but uh, tell us about uh, Cells at Work. One, two, three, four. We are Cells at Work. 
Osmosis Jones the anime. <laughs> um, initially, as it is so affectionately called. Yes, and it's pretty accurate to that. Um, uh, initially, I wasn't interested in cells at work. Uh, very similar to what Andrew mentioned before about certain shows and Tori said about Hirakdamia. It was overhyped. Just so much everywhere of cells at work. Just immediately, like the show blew up on social media everywhere. Um, I was like, mmm, mmm, I don't want to touch that powder keg. Mm-mm, no. Uh, it wasn't until after Awa that I saw a bunch of, I saw, I was waiting in line for an autograph, and I remember who, um, and there was a giant group of Cells at Work cosplayers. There was white blood cells, there was platelets, red blood cells, and I was like, and even viruses, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna give it a shot, because apparently if, if fans are this devoted at this point, the, the show's probably really cute. And I saw some gifts and stuff later on, I was like, hmm, hmm, I'm gonna go watch it. I watched the first episode, I was like, this is precious, this is wholesome, uh, I need more happy stuff in my life, especially when, since I'm watching Banana Fish right now. <laughs> That's uh, a good balance, yeah. It was a nice, good balance, except Cells at Work like, because I had to catch up, uh, ended before Banana Fish finished. Uh, mm. So I was like, oh no, I need something else. And I didn't really have much this uh, fall. Uh, but it, it it's Osmosis Jones, the anime. So if you like Osmosis Jones, you like Slice of Life, ridiculous, over-the-top comedy, then you're going to like Cells at Work. Um, it is really accurate, like, scary accurate to actual um, biological functions. I was just watching on my TV and my mom walks in. She's like, are they talking about microphage? I was like, yeah. And she's like, what are you watching? And she sits down and she's watching it with me. She doesn't watch anime. Ever. She doesn't like things with subtitles, she says, but she watches Turkish and Russian dramas. Hypocrite. Uh, <laughs> That's a really specific fandom. <laughs> mom likes historical dramas. Uh, yeah. Uh, Go check out the Rose of Versailles. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, so she was watching it, and she's like, "Wow, they're giving really detailed descriptions of the biological processes." So like, when they introduce something new, uh, you get the you get the nice, lovely narrator lady. It pauses what's going on, and you have the English text, and she's talking anyway. So you got like double subtitles. It's a little. That's the only issue I have. But that is Japan doesn't have to deal with that. That is only us. Um, and she says it in this very nice little prim and proper voice, something that you would hear like on like a nice recording somewhere. And she's just go, like talking about the entire thing, and then it goes back to the show. Um, it's weird and wacky. Uh, it mainly follows the main white, uh, main red blood cell, and she can't. She has really bad lack of direction, and she's having to deliver oxygen nutrients to the body. And she keeps going to the wrong places. And unfortunately ending up in places that she probably shouldn't due to fate and runs into white blood cell as he's, like, destroying something. So she keeps getting tangled in with a bunch of the lymphatic cells, like the white blood cells, the T cells, as things are hurting the body. And she just somehow manages to end up in the same place because you're following her. Um, You don't have to watch the full series um, if you just kind of want to hop around and watch episode like certain episodes that might interest you go ahead um there's not 
too much like uh, there's like a really minor underlying plot but it's really thin <laughs> uh it's mostly just slice of life every episode is just kind of its own thing um a little bit uh so yeah that's sells at work it's great so the season finale actually hurts a little Ooh. because it's a hemorrhagic shock Ooh. yeah isn't there a manga that's like a spin-off manga where it's like the same kind of characters but in a body where someone doesn't take care of their body so there's just like it's like a hellscape basically <laughs> i don't know i think i think i heard about something like that but i know that the I osmosis remember. jones cartoon that followed the movie actually mm-hmm. was actually no it was a kid the cartoon was a kid yes. the yes. movie was an old man bill murray yeah he didn't take care of himself this person just seems like a normal person mm-hmm. that gets a weird that just has a hemorrhage for some odd reason oh. we don't know why. it yeah and you see like the red blood cells struggle to deliver oxygen to the brain and it's like freezing as they're like slow and you're like no oh my gosh and just her determination to try and keep doing her job when cells are dying and you're like oh my gosh i give her so much more credence and then all of a sudden they get like a blood transfusion (laughs) and it's all these foreign cells and they're wearing different outfits it's super cute and you're like oh we turned something (laughs) really sad and depressing into something hilarious because she's like wait what he has short he has different outfit and talking in a different accent which is really interesting it's different um probably sounded kansai so the person's <laughs> blood was from the kansai region it's <laughs> like okay this is really smart that this is, is quite really excellent. smart <laughs> uh but yeah there's funny things like there's that one there's uh, an allergy one if you suffer from allergies watch that because it makes it really funny yep <laughs> uh an abrasion a handful of other just random things so yeah it's it's cute cool awesome all right uh sarah you're up again with uh the next show which i just wrote down a short name for and i forget the full title so you go for it great um the full title in english is tada never falls in love in japanese it's tada kun wa koi wa shinai i think Um, and it's in my tops because the dub for it is so good. <laughs> um, it's okay. How do I describe this? I mean, the show itself is kind of cliche. It's kind of you can see where it's going from, like the first couple episodes you're like oh okay so this quote-unquote rich girl is definitely a lot more than just some rich girl from europe who moved here okay um but it does end up being a interesting story about a kid living with like regrets from his childhood and trying to get over them and trying to be a better person and trying not to repeat his mistakes and i think it has a really good message in that way um but more importantly the dub okay listen there's a cat 
And there's an episode where the cat speaks, and in Japanese, it's um like okay, so in Japanese, it's just like a really gruff voice, and it's funny because he sounds kind of like yakuza or something, and he's all like, "Yeah, out here in the streets, blah blah blah." So <laughs> what they decided to do in the English dub. Um, was make it into an entire notorious B.I.G. joke because his name, the cat's name is Nyanko Big. So uh, they were like, wait, we can do something with this. So then they just turn him into a gangster cat. And once again, it's like, oh, hey, life's tough out there on the streets. It is so good. It's really good. Like, just that episode is so, so good. But even um, outside of that episode... um, there's a lot of like lines that could have very easily been translated in a very like generic awkward kind of way like I don't want to regret my mistakes anymore but something in the way that it was written and the way that um it was said just like made it into this very touching moment <laughs> um and that's true for a lot of different things um and yeah and then also there's like the foreign exchange student and her handler, who are definitely not special in any way, air quotes, um, have <laughs> these, like, generic Eastern European accents that are at times kind of clunky, but kind of, like, endearing because of that. And I'm, like, intrigued as to why they decided to go for that, but they went for it and they did it. And honestly, it works. They definitely, like, grow into the accent more as the show goes on, too. So by the end, when the serious shit is happening, it's much more, um, like, oh, yeah, she's from Luxembourg place thing. Great. Um, but yeah, overall, it's a pretty good series. Um, I didn't see a lot of people talking about it so I guess because it was on high dive and I feel like almost anything that's not on Crunchyroll or Funimation kind of doesn't get as much hype around it on social yeah. media maybe you know I I remember uh, sorry sorry go ahead Austin I was going to say um, certainly I hope that that will change now that or has started to change now that high dive is part of Verve yeah yeah, I feel like um, for earlier on in 2018, it was like anything on High Dive or on Amazon Prime, it was like, mm, I don't know about that, but people are starting to grow more into those. But yeah, so I just wanted to bring it up. It was definitely one of my favorites. Um, I went to get a decent screenshot from it for my Best of 2018 article, and then I ended up rewatching a whole bunch of it. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's super funny and really really pretty at times too so yep bill did you want to interject oh uh, no uh, we can move on okay cool all right so next up is a show that i had in my top five uh it's something that i watched fairly recently and actually uh, did a did a write-up on the website for it's uh, after the rain <laughs> This is a show from uh, Studio Wit, which is um, the same studio behind uh, Attack on Titan, weirdly enough, uh, and Cabinary of the Iron Fortress, and a bunch of things that are not like 
after the rain at all uh after the rain was another show sort of like sarah just articulated that not a lot of people checked out because it was on uh anime strike um now amazon prime um so after the rain uh i initially had a lot of res like i really wanted to check it out whenever it was first announced for it being in the i believe it was in the spring or winter season uh, I really wanted to check it out because, generally speaking, I've really enjoyed pretty much everything that Studio Wit has put out. Um, not necessarily my favorite stuff, but I've had there was a lot of entertainment value for me with their with their content. So I really wanted to check out After the Rain because it seemed like something very unique that they hadn't done before, doing a, uh, a high school romance. And once I read the synopsis, I was like, I don't know if this sounds like the type of show that I really want to give time to or would be interested in, uh, because the central crux of the uh, show is about a high school girl who uh, develops a crush on her much, much older, like 40-something-year-old uh, manager at her part-time job. And I was like, uh, I know how anime can be. I don't know if I want to, you know, dip my foot into that shark tank. Um, but uh, after hearing and reading a lot on uh, social media about how actually genuine and good and pure this show was, um, I decided to check it out and uh, figure it out for myself. And I was so pleasantly surprised at how wonderfully wholesome this show was how not creepy at all it came across even with that premise it's just a really honest very sweet show about really two people who sort of use their very unconventional friendship to sort of figure out more about who they want to be as people and uh while the the high school girl uh the main character i think akira is her name uh she definitely uh she 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 has a crush on this uh on this much older man um but it never turns into a relationship of any kind never a romantic thing of any kind even though she does confess to him and they sort of form a uh a friendship like bond it uh it never crosses that line and i was very pleased about that because they used this sort of unconventional uh friendship to tell tell stories just about two people in two different transitional periods in their life sort of going through uh very different struggles but sort of the same struggles they're both uh, you know reevaluating who they want to be as people they're both thinking about their identities and how to reconcile their past with their future and the people that they want to be versus the people that they have been in the past and are right now and it was just incredibly sweet and the opening is an absolute bop it's a great song it's on uh it's on uh, Spotify, and I listen to it uh, a bunch of times every week. <laughs> it's in my normal rotation. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a really excellent show, and I was highly pleased by it. It does a lot of really excellent um, uh, showing and not telling whenever it comes to emotions, which can be very difficult for anime to do sometimes unless you've got an extremely talented uh, animation staff. Because when you're dealing with, like, live-action actors and things like that, you know, the actors will be able to put, you know, little subtle pieces of emotion into their performances. But with anime and animation, all of that stuff has to be generated. It all has to be created from, from scratch. You don't have the luxury of relying on an actor's um, perspective or ability to perform subtle emotions. So, and there is tons of 
subtle body language, uh, the use of silence in this anime is incredibly um, evocative. And I was just thoroughly impressed up and down. So it absolutely had to be in my top five. It was it was really, really excellent show. All right, so the next one up here is uh, one that I think a couple people had in their list. Tobias talked about it a little bit in his uh, honorable mentions. So we've got uh, A Place Further Than the Universe. So uh, this is uh, winter of this year, so right off the bat we had several good shows in the first season, uh, this being one of those there. Uh, of course, for those of you who have not heard of this show yet, it's the general premise is we have a couple of high school girls uh, basically traveling to Antarctica for various reasons. Uh, our main character just wants to go to enjoy her youth. Uh, her best friend and the secondary main character wants to go to find her mother, who's uh, lost, uh, perhaps, in Antarctica. Uh, presumed dead, but ho- hopefully not. And uh, they get some secondary characters a little later on, but that's, that's generally kind of how it starts. Uh, this show really shines uh, for a couple of reasons. I think it, it's really good at portraying these friendships between these characters and the amount of just love they have for each other. And, you know, we're willing to take this uh, massive journey, just being high school kids traveling to literally, uh, you know, the end of the universe, really, uh, Antarctica. And uh, I, I really enjoyed seeing every episode, how they come together and, you know, realize the power of friendship. Uh, I think the one that uh, the one ding I would have against the show is that uh, they do that every episode feels like this huge <laughs> dramatic moment as to where it's just like every episode you're going to be in tears by the end of it. And I feel like if there's two genres that really define like my personal brand, it's either shows that are like really weird, like really weird comedy or shows that will break you and you will be bawling by the end of it. And Place Further really defines that, I feel like, for me. is the, Really, really enjoyed that, that aspect of it. All right, cool. Um, so moving on to the next one. Uh, Marissa, tell us about uh, Double Decker or Tiger and Bunny Part 2. Once again, you get to listen to my beautiful voice. I'm probably the only person talking about this show. Um, you haven't noticed. I think Tobias watched a little bit of it. I maybe. watched the first two episodes. Okay. All right. So, Double Decker is about this main. The main character is. Oh, God. It is a pain in the butt to say because it has B's, L's, R's, and bleh. It's a uh, Kirill. Krill. Kirill. His name is Krill. His last name sounds like Blueberry. <laughs> yeah, Krill <it's laughs> Blueville. Which is the point. Um, comes, blueberries come into play in the plot later. And it's just like, why? Um, but if you like anything, if you like Tiger and Bunny, or you like anything by, um, yeah, Sunrise did this. Yes. <laughs> um, like, what studio did this? Uh, and the wacky buddy cop story, yeah, you're gonna like uh, Double Decker. Uh, 
Krill is a, he starts out as a police officer, and due to ridiculous circumstances of fate, um, joins this group of detectives called 7-0, and their job is to uh, find and detain people who are using this drug called Anthem. Why are all of my favorite shows have drugs involved in it? This is not good. <laughs> Marissa, you want to? Marissa, are you trying this to tell the us intervention? <laughs> I think I need is an intervention. A, is this I, a cry for help? <laughs> I guess it is. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, I don't know. Uh, the the drug gives you like superpowers in a way. Like it gives you like it grants your wish for like one girl. It makes her like really beautiful but you can go into like essentially you can overdose on it by using it too often which they call overdrive so it kind of mutates your dna um so their job is to find and hunt down these people that are using the drug and to um figure out like who is actually giving it to these people and their main um the main sources of this group called like Esperanza and it's just a weird story of this kid um, getting involved in these strange circumstances because <laughs> a lot of it just doesn't make sense it's weird it's a comedy but it's really enjoyable um, I think that was my um, my cells at work for the uh, fall season be like, oh, sad banana fish, double decker. Let's watch <laughs> you now. Uh, completely. Uh, I thought I didn't have anything with double decker the entire time. Uh, but I love the designs and the art. Um, it kind of like Tiger and Bunny. It's in a futuristic world, but a lot of the designs and the aspects kind of seem to be like in. It looks London more like they're in London or something compared to I don't know because obviously Sternbuild clearly was New York City <laughs> and Tiger and Bunny like that was really obvious this one not so much well it's but obviously I, London because it's called Double Decker yeah there's that was another reason I was like uh, and also the building styles looked very reminiscent to a lot of the building and architecture that is in London and there's Double Decker buses everywhere so I was like okay this has to be London Europe somewhere because they have very British names as well um but like Tiger and Bunny it uses some of the 3D animation but unlike a lot of idle anime it's actually very seamless um it's you can tell a lot of the times when they are in the 3D models but it isn't doesn't stand out very awkwardly but you can tell it's three it's a 3D CG model at the same time, I'm like, why? Why do you need these 3D models? Where they're they're not doing big action sequences or dancing on stage like idol shows or the original Tiger and Bunny series. But okay, whatever floats your boat. Um, the story is really weird. <laughs> uh, it kind of reminded me of a mix of like it's like Tiger and Bunny and Samurai and Flamingo had a child. Hmm. I like mixing two shows to kind of give a nice analogy for what you're gonna get. Um, a lot of this makes no sense, um, but it builds up to it really well. Um, like, if you go back and probably rewatch it, you'll notice some of the little strings of the story that's kind of being told. 
but yeah, it's funny. As, 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 as I recall, it's been a while, but the general premise is like the main character is just a de- like a detective a or a, like a B cop at a yeah. uh, like a local precinct. So it's pretty much the Brooklyn Nine Nine of anime. And <laughs> there we the, go. Uh, Thank and, you. Yeah. And, and uh, I think like by the end of episode one, because he's also a really good direct, uh, really good detective. Like by accident or happenstance, he joins up with a secret mm-hmm. you know, organization that's a little more highbrow than what he usually does. Yep. And uh, yeah, to pretty much just like I hate to 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 say this yet again but i would say this is very much a tiger and bunny s show uh if you liked that show tiger and bunny you will enjoy this just the characters look very similar the art design is very similar the comedy is very similar uh personally i had a i didn't quite love tiger and bunny i didn't dislike it but it's something that didn't really grab me the way it did a lot of people and i feel like personally that's how i would describe double decker like this is pretty funny i enjoyed it in the same way that i did tiger and bunny but it didn't really like snatch me the way a lot of yeah. other shows can. So if you were really into that, um, I would say it's a lot more colorful. I enjoyed the just the art design a little more than TNB from back what seven years now at this point. Yeah. Uh, it feels like it's 10 still years. very much the same feel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very, very much the same feel. Like I couldn't, I couldn't lose that comparison the entire time I watched this show. Is that it just bleeds that same that same feeling? Yeah, and like you mentioned before, he was just a. The relationship between Krill and um, Doug. Doug. I was like, his last name is Billingham, and I'm like, what is his actual first name? <laughs> but Doug. Um, Doug is kind of more closely related to like Barnaby. He's kind of the cool guy, but he's the more experienced one in this situation. Um, and Krill's the dumb idiot who's completely unexperienced. He'll trip on his own feet, um, and everyone just looks at him like this guy's a he's stupid why is he even on our team whatever eventually later on there's a moment where he has this moment of brilliance and they look at him and they're like wait did he actually just understand this science from like episode one when doug just made like a couple of comments about what uh anthem does and he's like no it makes a lot of sense i got really bored and read something about like genetics like he's like i got bored and read genetics this books and you're like what? <laughs> like, hold on. You're actually not stupid? And he's like, maybe. It's like that moment okay. in that one Avengers movie where Tony Stark, where somebody asks Tony Stark, it's like, when did you become an expert in XYZ? And he's just like, last night. Yeah, kind of, but make them a bundling idiot for about 90% of the show. Um, Implying Tony he, Stark isn't. Mm-hmm. It's Golden Boy. Yeah. But he has a big heart, and the entire group just kind of falls around with him, and they're just like, "Nah, you're you're like our you're like our little puppy mascot over here, and we're still gonna care about and love you." So, yep. And I'm. It had a moment where it wrapped it up, but then they're like, "Oh yeah, there's like thousands of us, like these weird super soldier things," and you're like, "Wait, what?" And at the end credits, it pans to the thing. And you hear like, oh, something, 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 and then it's like to be continued? Question mark. It just slaps a question mark on there. You're like, <laughs> are we gonna get a sequel? I don't know. We could. <laughs> if you buy the Blu-rays. <laughs> we'll see. Um, either way, it would be fine just being on its own. But I'm curious to see, like, because apparently it's it's in related to Tiger and Bunny, so I'm like, apparently it's in the same universe oh wow but i have no idea how 
And I don't want to give spoilers if you want to watch it because there's some. I mean, this definitely feels a little more futuristic. Like Tiger and Bunny definitely had this like sci-fi yeah. like, capes feeling to it with like airships and stuff, if I recall. Mm-hmm. But this felt a little more, a little more modern. Yeah. Hmm. But I guess they're related because they have a similar vibe to it. I don't know, but I was hoping they would explain that more, but they didn't. Instead, they gave us something completely weird, off the wall, and made no sense. Hence the Samurai Flamenco reference, because that series went from, like, 1 to 20 in, like, an episode. <laughs> if you've watched Samurai Flamenco, it's weird. One of my favorites. But, yeah, that's that's Double Decker, and I think that's everything that's on this list that was on my list. Yeah. So you're done hearing just my voice. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so the next one up here is uh, one of the movies that Tori and I did a a little episode on. uh, Makuya. in the theaters whenever it came out uh, is the directorial debut of Mario Kata, who if you're not familiar with Mario Kata, she is a very prolific uh, screenwriter in Japan. She uh, did a lot of uh, uh, screenplays for a ton of different series during the 2000s and the 2010s. Uh, she wrote the screenplays for like Black Butler, Fate Stay Night 2006, uh, Toradora and things like that, but really where she shines, in, in my opinion, is like her original stuff, like uh, Anohana, uh, but Makuya is her first anime movie that she ever directed, her first anime that she's directed ever, and uh, it's also an original work by her, and uh, I thought it was really good. Um, uh, we talked about it pretty in-depth during that podcast episode, but uh, Tori, it actually made your top five. Uh, it didn't. It did not make mine, even though I really did enjoy it, so... Uh, uh, you want to talk about it a little bit more? Um, this movie was basically Mario Kata going, I love my mom, here's a movie about moms. <laughs> um, but basically we have Makia and she is part of... Um, were they immortal or were they... I can't remember. They were either immortal or it was kind of like Wolverine where they just aged really, really, really slowly. It seemed to me like they were effectively immortal kind of like elf style it's like it's not like they couldn't be killed or something like that because they definitely could but it's like they just don't age like at all yeah um so long of the short because we've already done a whole episode on this she finds an orphan baby and um takes on the role of his mother and it kind of um goes into like what it means to be a mom um biologically or not um and how she kind of deals with the fact that she knows that she's basically going to outlive this little boy and um that's it's really difficult and it was beautifully done um the music the scenery just everything um there were a few like little confusing parts of the movie but honestly i was like so just so into what was going on i was like whatever um 
and I just sat there and I was stone faced. I was like, this isn't going to get me. It's fine. It's not as sad as everybody makes it out to be. And then those last 20 minutes, I was <laughs> sobbing into my jacket. I was like curled up into a ball in the seat, like covered by my jacket, like sobbing ugly into, into my coat. And I was like, thanks thanks so much mario kata like you got me um i thought i was gonna make it experience exactly i thought i was gonna make it through that whole movie um without emotionally reacting like i was still very invested but i didn't think it was gonna get me that hard and then i was totally bamboozled and um it just it's it's very good and um you know thank you to moms um especially good moms you're wonderful and uh go watch makia it's it's good mm-hmm. yeah it's it's really excellent um just seeing the way that you know because they set up this whole like fantasy world with these like warring factions and stuff like that but all of that is is so so far secondary compared to the uh the emotional core of the movie which is just you know showing the the complicated relationship between makia who is immortal who is tasked with, you know, uh, raising this human boy who she knows is going to one day, you know, age and die and she will still be around uh, the same as she's always been. And just watching that play out is just, it's so heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. And it, 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 it um, the whole movie follows like the entire boy's life and things like that uh, from his, his birth basically to his elderly age and it's it's just very it's very touching it's very good i'd highly recommend it i can't wait to see what she does next because like i think makia had a few like directorial like like you said like some little bit of plot confusions that could have been cleared up a little bit of weird like spatial awareness things um but i think that those are just like directorial tweaks that she will get better at as she continues to direct anime so i am like Anohana is still like I watched it for the first time like six years ago. It is still like one of my favorite anime ever, and I really really liked that show. And I think Makia fits in as like a good uh, like like sort of if you enjoyed Anohana, you'll like Makia sort of thing. Um, so I'm really excited to see what else Mario Kata gives us. All right, so next up. Tobias, it's your show. It's the show that was made for you, specifically for you. This whole was made for me. If you made this show, it would not surprise me at all. No, this show was way too smart for me. (laughs) Tell us about uh, the Bob Epic team. Uh, all right, bubble name me me. All right, so th- this show still gets a lot of shit from uh, from people that just haven't watched it as just being shit post the anime, and it's it's really really not accurate. Like this this show is not just a bunch of you know kind of like low content shit post meme stuff. It's it, it I mean it's got a lot of references that are just kind of out there and just random at some points, but the things they do with it, I think, are still pretty intelligent with a lot of the wordplay and just referencing their own, you know, their own comic hair. It's it, it really doesn't try to pander to an audience. Uh, it usually wants to just to celebrate its own like jokes, I guess, and laugh at itself, and doesn't really care so much about um, 
being coherent in a lot of places. And I think mm-hmm. that's being able to have that as an entire TV series rather than a series of like YouTube poops is pretty great. Uh, honestly, it worked out really well. Uh, I think when you look at some of the segments specifically, especially the Hellshake Gano scene, that's really just like an art form in and of itself. Like it's really easy to dismiss the show just being like goofy references, but that in itself like made that pretty much anime of the year. Just just that in itself, the amount of work that uh, AC Boo was able to put in into that, uh, just just kind of amazing. And I really enjoyed the fact that if nothing else, they were able to give. Uh, you know, people like AC Boo just this space to do something really crazy and out there, and it's something you would not see in in any other you know type of series. And give them the space to do that is just I don't think there's any other show on the list that even comes close to touching what Pop Team Epic did. Um, not to say that any other production studio would be afraid to or even dare to do something as as off the wall as it did. So, yeah, I know that it won't be everyone's cup of tea, and I can understand that, but I still think as someone who does appreciate weird comedy, like I said earlier, that's the other half of my brand, like, Pop Team Epic rules supreme, and I don't really think we're going to see something quite like this uh, in years in, you know, in years going forward here, and if ever again. Uh, I really hope that we don't get a season two, simply because I don't want the show watered down. I would rather it be this perfect crystallization of what it embodies and what it encapsulates. So I'm, if we if we only get these 12 or 13 episodes, I can't recall the exact list, I am more than happy with that. And yeah, um, I, I would still highly recommend going to see this show if you're a fan of weird comedy at all. Uh, still a very much a fun watch. And uh, yeah, never forget Hellshake Yano. I think uh, I think it was uh, I was listening to the A and N cast talk about Pop Team Epic during one of their like seasonal uh, previews or something like that, and they said something that really struck with me, something along the lines of um, like Pop Team Epic like defies all criticism because it's a show that both it exudes this attitude where it does not give a crap if you like it, and it also doesn't give a crap if you hate it. Because Pop Team Epic is going to be what it is, no matter what you think. If you love it to death, they're going to make fun of you for it. If you hate it, they're still going to make fun of you for it. And that's sort of that weird power that Papako and PPMe sort of exude. And I think that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of brilliance in that and being able to cr- create characters that sort of defy whatever you think about them because they're just going to flip you the bird no matter what and I think that's <laughs> I think that's pretty that's crazy accurate. yeah that's the big yeah. energy going into 2019 mm-hmm. right like pop team epic is 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 wild and I think that the the characters the attitudes the uh and the iconography of pop team epic will uh will will last for a long time even if people don't necessarily watch the show people are going to remember pop team epic oh absolutely uh like uh b cubs art was already pretty iconic uh, in yes. like very niche circles before and then with this coming out it's just you see those 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 same popco people me faces put on everything now the same sort mm-hmm. of jokes uh you know redone uh, over and over again and you know i really would like to see more studios just do stuff for their own enjoyment Again, not to continue to talk about my same favorite studio, but I feel like Trigger kind of does the same thing with their animation, if nothing else. They're just making stuff for the hell of, of doing it in this bombastic animation. Animation for animation's sake. There's definitely yeah. something to be said for that. Yeah, exactly. And, I, yeah, I think 
pop team epic just embodies that like it's really just what they're making this for their own reason and and kind of like you said i feel like again not to come off as, as too pretentious here but i feel like this is also a really good show that's I guess it's more of a mirror into the viewer than it is in and of itself. I think that it really speaks more to um, like you as a person and your reaction to it rather than the show itself. And I'm able to find out a lot more about people and their just the way they interact with comedy, for instance, uh, or even like modern culture, modern you know pop culture or whatnot. Just seeing their reactions to the show, which is a lot, which is a lot more than a little Goblin Girl show than I would have expected to begin with. Right. Right, and a lot of uh, folks at uh, Ichiban Con last year were uh, uh, treated to uh, Edwin projecting it on the wall, which was <laughs> one of the one of the highlights of uh, of last year's Ichiban Con. The, the secret video viewing room. Yep. Number zero. Gr- yeah, gorilla, gorilla, uh, gorilla video room. <laughs> this is amazing. So uh, yeah, next up is uh, Violet Evergarden. Okay, well, it was my number one, so I guess I'll do it. Let's go. Heck yeah, do it. Um, do it. So Violet Evergarden is about a girl who has lived through war, who has lost her arms, and is now trying to become an auto-memory doll, which um, is somebody who travels and writes pretty-sounding letters, basically. Um and it's kind of an episodic series that uh, culminates in the end to like the ultimate goal of her trying to find this dude who is kind of a father figure to her, I guess. Um, and yeah, overall, for me, for this year, um, this was my favorite because um, a lot of people in my life have been dealing with uh death lately and this series deals with um death and family relationships and love and all of that and um in just a very beautiful way visually and also narratively um so because of that i really really liked it do i think it's an absolutely perfect anime no not really it does have you know some things that could be better like the main character can sometimes be better at being you know a human being but that's kind of part of her growth throughout the series as well is um learning how to relate to other people and express what they're feeling and all of that yeah um i'm about halfway through the series myself and i'm i'm really enjoying it um i definitely see folks would have a problem sort of stomaching Violet as a character because she can be very out of touch with others but like you said I think that is integral to the story that this show is trying to tell and a lot of it is sort of in an interesting way sort of putting our like the way that we communicate with others sort of explaining that through the lens of somebody who really has a very very difficult time relating to the feelings of others because I think a lot of our, a lot of the, you know, sort of emotions and attitudes that we display on a daily basis, like, we don't really think about how we do it, we just do it because that's how we've always done it, 
or that's how we've been trained to do it or whatever and we never really have to examine that but I think that because Violet has such an issue with that and she has to learn all these lessons kind of for the first time through making a lot of mistakes um, we get to see that laid out in a very interesting way that not a lot of shows explore so in, in such a broken down kind of way um, yeah so it's really interesting I'm excited to watch more can I ask a quick question sure. um, mm -hmm. Sarah uh, how did you find or get interested in Violet Evergarden because it was one of the Netflix shows and like you were saying earlier Netflix shows kind of get lost in the shuffle so I'm wondering what um, made you start watching it I mean the PV from years and years ago that Kyo Annie did like immediately hooked me oh, and then yeah. I just kind of kept an eye on it and I did <laughs> it was so hard but I, d I waited until it was released on Netflix to watch it um, I was also interested in the dub but for this one the dub just didn't like hit me as much as the Japanese dub with subs did um, I can't really pinpoint why but yeah, I had to wait for it, and it was hard to not just go onto, like, you know, a third-party site and just watch it, but it's fine, because there was plenty of other things to watch this year. Oh my god, so many other things, <laughs> but... Yeah, it was a beautiful show. I agree. Um, it, with pretty much everything everyone said, uh, it, it hurt a lot trying to get through that series because there was just so many emotions that you're feeling and then especially once Violet starts to feel more emotion it starts to break you more when she starts to realize things about what happened and you're like I was not ready for this yeah yeah and I loved all of the little stories and um, the things she experienced the, the daughter and the letter from her parents, the the boy in, like on the mountain. Those are two of my favorite episodes. Oh man, yeah. I loved those. But just there were there are times, like especially in the very beginning where you kinda of have to give Violet like some a little bit of leeway. Yeah. But like Austin said, like it, it wouldn't be the same show if you didn't have her being like super naive about everything. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, moving on to the next one. Uh, special Yaoi book time. <laughs> Honda-san. All right, who wants to kick this one off? Who, who had this in their top five, by the way? I did. Okay, go for it, Tori. Okay, so... If you want something like quick to get through and is actually very legitimately funny and pretty spot on to what it's actually like to work in a bookstore, um, you should definitely watch Skullface bookseller Honda-san. Um, I made my way through this pretty fast and I kept laughing. The, like Just from start to finish, it is so funny. and. Um, I think the guy who wrote the comic uh, legitimately did work in a bookstore. Like, he had to have because some of these things are so incredibly <laughs> specific. Um, like, there was a mention in one of the episodes of doing, like, 
a bookstore order to a prison, which is something that I did multiple times in like the three years I worked for Barnes and Noble. Um, and I think every episode I went through, I was like, hey, I did that, or that happened to me, or oh yeah, we did do that, didn't we? Um, from like working at book signings, ordering inventory, like talking to publishers, warehouse people, like it's it's really, really spot on. And it was kind of surprising how, like even though this is about a bookstore um, in Japan and it's mostly like uh, comics and like it, it's animate, I'm assuming, um, or something like that. But um, it just operates so similar to how we do things here with bookstores. So that was really cool. Um, they also referred uh, to the the titles because they have to censor a lot of the titles unless there are things that uh, Katakawa has. Um, so they refer to Pop Team Epic as Pop Poop Peptic. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's. This I mean, where's the lie? <laughs> exactly. And uh, there's this really funny reference to um, oh, what was that one show called a few seasons ago where the magical girls turn into like the really buff guys. Oh, Magical Gore or Yes, thank you. There was this really funny joke where this little kid was like, Mommy, why does this boy look like a pretty cure? And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah. um, but it's just, it's genuinely really funny, and I think it captures the essence of uh, bookstore life very well, and it's not a very glamorous job. I know a lot of people are like, that's my dream job, to work at a bookstore. Like, it's just a retail job. Um, <laughs> you you really do meet a lot of interesting people, um, like really cool people and just like really weird people, and they kind of go into that as well. Um, and people really expect you to have read every book ever from like the beginning <laughs> of time until now, and that's oh, just gosh. not this is not how it works. Um, and they do show how everybody that works in that location has their own little thing that they're in charge of. So like. Um, the one employee brings in um, light novels, and then the other employee brings in uh, um, uh, manga compilations, like Shonen Jump and stuff. And um, that's very true to how things work as well. Like um, I did, I worked a lot with the music section, or I did a lot with like comics and stuff too. And um, it is, it is a very legitimate slice of life. Um, condensed down into 11 minute episodes and I found it absolutely hilarious so the next one is sort of a big block of stuff that we'll talk about all sort of in the same category here so 2018 has often been coined as the year of Yuasa because a bunch of stuff from Masaki Yuasa came out this year and made a huge impact uh, most notably uh, Devilman Crybaby that uh, came out what on what feels like January 1st or something very very uh, near to that because it, it seems like as soon as 2017 was over it was like the year of Devilman almost instantly uh, but in addition to Devilman we also had Lou Over the Wall and The Night is Short Walk on Girl come to theaters uh, so I guess we'll talk about them in that order so um, Devilman Crybaby <laughs> So, Tobias, you want to kick that one off? Sure, yeah. Um, if you had told me that we'd be able to make Devilman relevant again and people care about Devilman, I would never would have believed you. But then this happened. 
and it's just like an amazing adaptation of this Gona Guys classic manga. We did a whole podcast on this way back, um, right after the series. I guess it didn't really wrap up per se since it all came out uh, via the Netflix model. You could binge the entire show as soon as it com- came out, and yeah, you. I mean, you have this like classic Gona Guy off the off the wall story. It's just like batshit crazy or uh, devil shit crazy, maybe I should say. Uh, but also contrasted with uh, like science sorrows, very weird, uh, very unusual style. And when I when I first heard that this was happening, I was a little hesitant because I like Yuasa's original stuff a little more. I really still appreciate Kaiba and just how really strange it looks. And I wasn't sure if this would work, really work, but I think it it actually does enhance uh, all the segments that we get with the, with the various devils and the devil men that show up. Uh, it's just just interesting character designs inspired by the guy's original stuff, of course. Just made everything work really, really well. And when you see a lot of this, uh, uh, like the, the, these classic manga series, it's easy to forget just how uh, strange they can be. It's it's really easy to forget how influential they can be. And if you go back and watch, uh, you know, the ending to Devil Man, or in this case, Crybaby. I mean, you could definitely see notes of uh, of this ending that trickle down into a whole bunch of anime over time. Of course, you know, End of Evangelion is a big, yet another reference that people <laughs> come up with this. And no, like, oh, it's, yeah. it's very apparent that Anno, if he didn't outright say it, then yes, uh, Anno was very much inspired by the ending to Devil Man here. And it's just uh, just to see like this, this classic uh, story, this retro story, uh, mixed with this more modern design, very interesting and different design, just makes the show pop. And uh, like I said earlier for Megalobox, like that alone is going to make Devilman Crybaby be a, a modern classic that we will remember for years to come. So, Tori, it also made your top five. So, you want to say something about Devilman? Um, yeah, mostly. Like I share a lot of Tobias's sentiments, but. Um it was it was just a beautifully done show and um was, i feel like it's probably one of my favorite go nagai works but that's probably because it's one of the most like removed from him you know what i mean like he like i don't think he had a lot to or to do with this adaptation if anything at all right i don't believe so i mean he may have overseen it at maybe a superficial level, but I don't think he had any real involvement with the production. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that's probably like uh, for some people, but you know, um, I think, like I said, this was the most palatable work of his for me. And even then, it was still really over the top and crazy. But um, this is one of those shows that, like, even though so much you know, grotesqueness and wildness is going on, there's still, at the end of it, a lot of good things that you can take away from it, like, you know, not destroying the entire world for your boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there are good representations in the show as well. I think um, we have the... um, Oh, refresh my brain. It's the one guy... um, and it's alluded to, I don't think they go into super, super depth with it. It's been like a year since I've watched this, but it's the one, he's the guy that's in the little gang of delinquents, right? That turns, that he's gay. Right. The, okay. the other runner. And then the other runner, um, she deals with a lot of uh, things in that same vein as well. I'm thinking of the right character too, right? Like, it's been a year since I've watched this and I feel really bad. <laughs> um, 
But I can't, he, I can't remember the guy's name, but I think uh, Miko was the uh, sort of antagonist character that in love with Mickey, but also uh-huh. struggling with uh, sort of like being compared to Mickey. Yes, uh-huh. And um, I think it, it definitely handled those things well, and um, it was fun watching a lot of people's reaction to that kind of stuff come through Twitter as they were getting to those episodes, because I don't think anybody really expected that to be there or be done so well. Um, and it was just, it was nice to see. Um, and like I said, I think it's very important for that show. Um, context is everything. And just to see good things come out of something so like violent and gross and gory and um, those things like that. And to be able to take a positive thing away from it is very important. And um, I would say go watch this, but I'm also really scared to recommend that to anybody you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it seems like the anime always has this tendency to sometimes use violence and stuff as more voyeurism rather than trying to actually elevate some sort of you know meaningful plot character and whatnot um i would think that uh devil man is well devil man crybaby is sort of in the same vein as uh berserk where it has it has a lot of very very rough things that are put in front of you visually um but it's all sort of in service of the characters and in service of the story and it's not doing itself just to be you know i hate to use this word but like edgy or whatever um it's there there's some real uh real uh real heart behind all the blood i guess fighting for their lives and to hold their place in the world and like to keep themselves safe and the people that they love and care about safe at the same time um so it's not like you said it's not just there to be edgy um it it is there for a reason no matter Mm -hmm. how violent it is thankfully (laughs) Mm -hmm. and just from like a visual point of view i mean all of the us's us's stuff is like this and tobias you talked about this earlier but just his material especially the stuff that's been coming out fairly recently just has it has a look about it that you don't really see anywhere else it's like fairly minimalist he doesn't use a lot of complicated character designs they're all very simple the color palette is very straightforward but it's executed in such a brilliant and beautiful way that just shows that you can do a lot with not trying to reinvent the wheel but just breaking things down to very simple parts and just putting them together in a way that is incredibly visually appealing. And I think Devil Man is super crazy good when it comes to its visuals. Right. And I think when you think of these mythological characters, you know, angels and, and demons, we tend to think of these very iconic designs for these. But really, when you go back in like biblical lore, these creatures are really, really messed up and they will break your mind despite watching them so to see these like the the physical the visual breakdown between just the normal scenes with these characters a very you know a very typical anime design and then seeing all that break down when the demons come out just like that first episode where they're in the club and everything just people start melting and their teeth and uh, body parts that are just coming out of things and it just to see that that a comparison between these two styles i really sort of makes this mm-hmm. i love the scene where uh the lady's boob turns into a uh, monster mouth and just bites that guy's head off and I'm like right. god I wish <laughs> <laughs> you just say like I wish that were me but you don't know which side of that you wish exactly. to be on exactly 
that, that's kind of that show in a nutshell. You're just like, hmm, mood, but like, where? <laughs> where do I fit in? Which one do I want to be? Yeah, and I also like like the main the, the main theme of the you know the show that in the title the the crybaby segment. It's very easy, like you mentioned uh, with Berserk, for instance. That is, you know, it, it's it's Edge for a reason, but guts himself as this very typical male protagonist badass character throughout. You know, at least the the, mm-hmm. the, the like the the after segments when everything goes down in Berserk. But here, like Akira is just is a big crybaby, and you know? all he wants is everyone to be friends and and be happy with each other, and even even in the final scene all he wants is just people to be happy with each other and he right. never gets it he is denied happiness from beginning to end and I see just that like that's that's part of, of that to me is you see these characters especially these like uh these these these, these queer characters that are just suffering and like I hate to see like as a comparison to what you were saying in the bloom into you where it's these characters that are just enjoying life without all of this cruft of you know the social stigma like it's the very opposite of that these characters and their struggle for their identity that is is very real it's it's very tough to watch i'm sure for the people that go through that those issues and see those struggles day to day and just to see akira like refusing to be broke down by that i'm thinking the one scene where he's got those hostages trapped uh that he's he's refusing to, to fight anybody and they eventually just come up and like hug him uh i think it's a bunch of kids like that where he just refuses to give in to, to the, the actual devil that he he embodies now, but even in the end, he doesn't get a happy ending. No, and that's I think that's a very like good and important sentiment to share. Like, guys, it's okay to cry. Like, yeah. no matter who you are, it's fine. Like, that's a very valid way of expressing yourself. Take it from like Crybaby Supreme. <laughs> um, hit me up. We'll start the Crybaby Club. It's all good. <laughs> but like, you know that that scene where he's like i'm not crying for myself i'm crying for you i'm just like yeah like i understand that and it's very like you said like you know he doesn't give in to himself and he's just how do i want to phrase it like even at the sake of giving himself the happiness or whatever like he does it for other people because he would rather the other people have it and it's like that's noble in a way um i guess but yeah it's like it's okay to cry (laughs) why dust the deviled man cry (laughs) it's it's okay to cry it's okay to eat a bunch of food and it's okay to just watch porn in the library and max volume live your best life (laughs) college wi-fi says otherwise but whatever (laughs) (laughs) All right, so totally unrelated to that, uh, let's pop over to Lou Over the Wall. So Lou Over the Wall is a completely different direction from anything related to Devilman. Uh, it is a, a I want to say it's an original. Is it an original, Tobias? I, I think it's Disney-ish, and it is kind of based on some stories, like maybe mermaid stories. But it's it's original, pretty much. Yeah. So um, we've got this uh, this 
this young man who lives in this uh, small fishing town, and uh, he has a band with some of his uh, high school friends, and there's this local legend surrounding the town about, like, mermaids, and if you play your music too loud, they will come up, uh, like, to the, sh- to the shoreside and, like, eat people, uh, because... Because, <laughs> like, in this world, like, mermaids are kind of like vampires in the same way. Like, if you get bitten by a mermaid, you become a mermaid sort of thing. And uh, he and his uh, band of, like, I will call them, like, soft delinquents, uh, they they sort of, they go to this abandoned island, and they put on a concert, and they're practicing for their, for their band that they have, and they attract this uh, little uh, girl mermaid named Lou. And uh, she's very naive. She's very Ponyo-esque, but not quite as annoying. Uh, she <laughs> is is not a fan of ham, at least not that I'm aware of, but she does like to bite some dogs. And um, this movie is just uh, really sweet. Uh, it deals with a lot of, like, small-town Japan. Uh, what's the word? Uh, like, um, like, like, local legends and stuff like that. And, uh, um examining like cryptids and uh and things of that nature like local leg- local lore and local legends uh while wrapped up in this like really fun movie that just exudes pure entertainment uh it's got some amazing like musical scenes some really wild dances and it's just an overall incredible joy to watch an absolute pleasure to just let this movie wash over you and uh, there's a mermaid dog, which is something that I never knew that I wanted until I saw it. Um, and this this movie is just awesome. I cannot wait to own it and watch it again, like over and over. And the English dub is also really super awesome. I, I mean, I'll, I'll say that uh, I didn't really have many expectations going into this. All I knew was that it was kind of a, a kids' film, and it was done by one of my favorite directors. So I just kind of showed up wanting to at least give money uh to pay for a ticket and i come out really really enjoying that uh, like you said it's just a whole lot of fun uh, a lot of us's design is based off like classic american cartoons like tex avery is a big inspiration for yuasa and i feel like of the three uh, things we're talking about today that that shines forth more so than anything else so there's that one dead segment in the middle that's just cartoony as hell and so much fun uh, just to watch uh, I really, uh, you kind of touched upon like him and the band members, but a, a big character moment for our main character is that he doesn't want really to share his music with other people. Mm-hmm. He has a hard time like coming out and expressing himself, uh, partially because of uh, just how small his uh, like his town in his town is, and knowing the relationship between his parents and the way they fell apart, he's really hesitant to like share his dream and to meet up with this character that. Again, maybe cliche uh, in the long run. It just I feel like their chemistry really worked out very well, and uh, yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed it from start to finish. Yeah, definitely. And sort of in a very similar vein to uh, Lou over the wall is uh, the night is short walk on girl, which I think embodies some of the same spirit of fun, but it's not necessarily a kids movie. It's definitely a movie that's more for the right. uh, younger adult audiences, like maybe the twenty somethings, the thirty somethings out there, because uh, that's sort of what the story revolves around and what the characters they sort of deal with uh, with the uh, struggles of early adulthood and like uh, dating and romance and like identity and uh, you know wanting to have fun but realizing you. You got you've got responsibilities as well. Um, so the night of short walk on girl follows these uh, 
two characters, uh, Otome and uh, what was the other guy's name? Just Senpai. 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 Okay. Uh, so they're both very uh, sort of blank slates in some ways. Um, but they're these uh, classmates in college who sort of cross paths every once in a while. And uh, Senpai is really uh, infatuated with Otome. He really wants to ask her out on a date and like get to know her better. And Otome is just kind of this free-spirited girl who is uh, really into drinking. She likes to drink a lot, but somehow never gets wasted. I guess that's her superpower, I guess. And uh, she really just takes life to its fullest extent I guess she has this incredible sense of optimism about her um, all of these wild and crazy people that she meets over the course of the film like a lot of them have uh, like personal hang-ups either based on mistakes that they've made in the past or or things that they're you know currently doing that sort of impede their ability to look at life positively and she sort of like pops into their into their stories and sort of teaches them a lesson in a weird way I knew going into A Nighty Short Walk on Girl and coming out of it that I would love this so very much. So much that I'm pretty sure we could do a whole podcast on this movie. Which we have done, but it got deleted because I suck. <laughs> I mean, we knew that, but anyway. Uh, no, this is pretty much a uh, like a spiritual sequel successor to The Tatami Galaxy, uh, which came out in 20, uh, 2010 and is still one of the best series from this decade. Uh, people will still be talking about The Tatami Galaxy. But uh, like as the opposite of that, it, I mean, it still has the, the same base characters, both Senpai and Atome are kind of mirrors to uh, Watashi and, jeez, uh, I can't remember her name now, but the other black-haired girl in uh, Tatami Galaxy. Uh, uh, Akashi. Akashi's her name. But uh, it, it has a very different focus, whereas the male character here is not a insufferable asshole. Like he is in Tatami Galaxy, he's, he's a decent guy, he's just a little misguided. And other than uh, the love interest just being this uh, token love interest, like she's a full developed character herself, and the movie is focused more on her rather than him. And I, I think that made this more watchable uh, overall than even the Tatami Galaxy, uh, even if it, even if it is just a two-hour-long movie as compared to a thirteen-episode or eleven-episode TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, still highly, highly recommend this. Please go check this out. Uh, like you said, it's whereas Lou is very much a movie for kids and very much feels like it maybe wasn't gunning intentionally, but kind of gunning uh, for that Ghibli sort of spot where. It's just a, a very similar thematic feel to a lot of Ghibli stuff. This is definitely more for an older audience, somebody just out of college that's kind of dealt with these feelings of, well, this is my life. What do I do with it? Where do I go from here? And to find meaning in this wild world we live in. And uh, not just the, the main characters, but a lot of the side characters, uh, like the guy that hasn't changed his underpants uh, in God knows how long, like the, like his character himself, just trying to find meaning and you know, meaning in his life, uh, trying to work through some issues that he has. Just very Isn't relatable. His name just like underpants son. Yeah, it's just Don Underpants. Don Underpants. Don Underpants. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just a really great, uh, a really great watch. If you're kind of suffering with that at all, if you're you're over that sort of early 20s slump, that that mid-century crisis, quite quite that quarter-life crisis, I think is the term. Like this is certainly something that you could relate to to some degree. Uh, and if you enjoyed it, please still go check out the Tatami Galaxy. It's available streaming somewhere. Uh, I can't recall exactly where it is now. I think it's still on Crunchyroll. Uh, it is still a worthwhile watch, even if it's a little less likable than, than the, this movie itself, but still also very relatable. 
before you want to jump in on that because you saw it as well uh-huh yeah i actually uh really really enjoyed it i still want to watch it a second time to kind of like digest it but um it was a lot of fun and it's one of those like good examples of a piece of work where it's like oh if you're you know kind of seeing a little bit of yourself in this character or you're you know kind of wanting to be more like this character i think it's kind of good in this example um because it definitely is um what i took away from it was like um you know have fun but like remember you still have to do you still have obligations like kind of like you said earlier um and to just kind of be positive like you can see goodness sort of and everything like otome did like i thought that was really incredible um and her her um how do i want to put it like her kindness i don't ever think was played off as um like a weakness or her being stupid or anything like that and that was kind of important and good to see um because mm-hmm. she's she's a very great character and um was never like tobias said kind of dumbed down to be a, just a love interest or anything like that but um mm-hmm. very colorful it's a lot to take in um mm-hmm. and it's uh you know to share the sentiment again a very relatable movie i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think uh just to piggyback off of what you said just real quick i think that a lot of films or media or something like sort of they say so they kind of equate like characters that are kind with kind of being naive and I really appreciate that Otome is not like that at all. Like, she is very, very confident in her optimistic worldview. Not because she's naive, but because she's incredibly confident in it. Like, she legitimately believes that, like, kindness and optimism is, like, the the way to live your life. And she doesn't sort of, like, naively believe that. She believes that, like, in practice and in thought and an experience and i think that is incredibly valuable right and she's never taken advantage of for it either because i see that a lot in stories where it's like Mm -hmm. oh if you're you're always kind people are going to walk all over you and take advantage of you but that's not true Mm -hmm. and it's not true with her as character either i haven't seen any of these excluding devil man i haven't seen any of the other works that he's done but maybe just to wrap this segment in a bow i don't know if you have any extra point austin but uh it's amazing to me that one director has had so many hits just back to back to back that have been critical, uh, critically acclaimed and well regarded by audiences. It's, it's for anime, it's very rare for an anime director to, to have such a, such a good track record. Um, <laughs> I agree. When you put it that way, like the year of Yuasa was kind of a crazy thing. And I know that both um like Lou and the Night of Short Walk on Girl were technically from last year. They were all all that and Devilman were all released this year. So it is kind of crazy to look at his his recent career and be like, "Man, that guy's Well, great. even <laughs> even not this year, like his past stuff includes Ping Pong the Animation. Oh, true. Uh, My, Mind Game, which he directed. He did a short for Genius Party. He was part mm-hmm. of Space Dandy. So true. his track record is quite amazing. I, there's very few directors with an anime that has such a high pedigree. And I think it, we it should just... just, just, uh, just 
Uh, in this case, okay. just to be fair, like while certainly Yuasa is the poster child for Science Saru, like we've got his protege Unung Che, who's also worked on Kimonozume uh, from mm. last decade, and she's also coming into her own pretty well. She also had her own specific episode of Space Dandy, and I see a, you see a lot of her stuff in both of these movies. So I'm really excited, not just because I'm a Yuasa fanboy, because I want to see like where she's coming into her own, mm. and also I want to see a lot of new animators. Like I, I like these studios as bringing new animators on. And, uh, you know, having their own identity. So I'm really excited to see what Science Saru as a whole, uh, you know, does. And then they've actually got their next movie already planned for a 2019 release, I believe, later next year. That looks, just on the cover image we've got, looks a little more like Lou, maybe more mature for, like, you know, uh, like uh, like young young adult rather than kids. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. Cool. cool. All right, and sort of in the similar vein as The Night of Short Walk on Girl, we have another sort of... Uh um, quarter life crisis series with Agretzko. <laughs> so uh, I think this this made a lot of folks' top five. It was one of my honorable mentions as well. So um, so if you're a woman and you have a job, watch Agretzko. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, if you know, in general, if you're like really fed up with your job and just like the uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Is it uh, banal banality? Is that right? Of life, um, or just working in general? Um, Agretzico just perfectly captures all of that, and um, it's another one of those shows kind of reminded me. Well, I was thinking of it as I was watching uh, Honda san. Um, of like, oh yeah, that's happened to me. Oh, I know somebody that's happened to. Um, so the struggle is very relatable. And um, I think we would all be better off if we channeled our, um, our frustration and our rage and our anger into some kind of productive hobby. It doesn't have to be, you know, screaming death metal in a karaoke bar after work. Um, but, you know, it could be painting or gardening or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was a very good show. I do like um, um, how it kind of captures the different personalities of people that you might be working with. And I'm glad that eventually Agretzico, uh, or Retzico, she has two women in her office that are very supportive of her and kind of uplift her. And that's good to see um, instead of, you know, the, I feel like in, uh, my brain is shutting down. Hold on. <laughs> I just feel like um, in settings like that in real life, you know, we kind of get pitted against each other instead of being like, oh, you know, you're doing great. Go on. Uh, do wonderful. You're fantastic. Um, and they even find out about her hobby of death metal and they're still super supportive of that and they get in on it with her. Like they all go to karaoke together. And um, I love Retsuko's like her little like get rich quick fantasies. <laughs> of like oh i'm gonna go get married i'll just marry a rich husband and then it's fine and it's like okay who hasn't thought about that um <laughs> or her like i'm gonna go work for my friend's online store and it'll be fine and then it doesn't pan out because her friend's kind of like flaky and a go with the flow person um so that's also really relatable and um see what else did i want to talk about uh i think the the romance aspect of it. That's why I'm really excited for season two because I want to see her and like her coworker like be closer because he's very sweet and he like genuinely like 
cares about her along with uh, Fenico, even though she is kind of very blunt and is like, you're being stupid, stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, we all need a friend or like four like that, right? But um, <laughs> even for it to be, you know, just a little like Sanrio show, I don't know what I mean by that. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a fancy production, like is what I'm saying. It's still very mm -hmm. good and there's a lot of heart in it and um, it's just so infectious and after I finished it I wanted like everybody to watch it because mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun yeah T Tori to, to quick comment to add I think the reason why you call it uh, this kind of Sanrio is because the character designs and the look of that show has a sort of similar hello look to Hello Kitty oh it is uh, mm -hmm. Agretzico is actually a Sanrio character oh uh, okay I didn't yeah know that. <laughs> yep and that's I think that's kind of what took a lot of folks by surprise was that like this very realistic very uh hilariously scathing like workplace dramedy uh came out of like a sanrio property uh -huh. which you know no one would have really expected that you know coming out of the the very sort of uh sort of childish associations that people have with with sanrio just sort of being like you know, cute little mascot characters for you to put on your purse or your book bag or your keychain or whatever. And they've definitely put Retzko on purses and book bags and keychains and what have you. But I think that if any anime from 2018 summed up the it me sort of idea, it would be uh, it would be Agretzko uh, along with uh, bookseller Honda-san because I think uh, with with a lot of with my assumption is that probably a lot of uh, younger anime fans probably do work in retail. There is a large, uh, large or work in like office settings and whatnot. There's a large, you know, connective tissue between the audience and uh, in that show. And I think it being uh, being on Netflix is something that has helped it even break out to that larger audience um, because it does not look super anime in the sense that it, it doesn't really, it kind of looks like it could be a western cartoon potentially if you're not familiar with Sanrio or anything like that. And I think even the folks that are not necessarily inclined to be like, oh I'm gonna go on Netflix and watch anime uh, they might check out something like a Gretzko if they read the plot synopsis and think, oh that sounds kind of cute and funny. Um, so yeah, and the fact that the episodes are very short, I think lends itself to being very accessible and it has a really excellent English dub like whenever I watched through the show I watched it in English and I thought it was awesome um, so yeah I think Agretzko is going to be something that partially because of its relatability and partially because it's available on Netflix is going to be you know something that people keep returning to you know year after year and it'll stay it'll stay relevant and um, I know there was a Hello Kitty show like an animated Hello Kitty show for a really long time but I would kind of like to see a little offshoot of maybe like the lesser known <laughs> Sanrio characters. Um, like there's, this is a complete tangent and I apologize, but there's one called Wish Me Mel and she is actually kind of like marketed as a Hikikikomori. Mm. And um, her whole thing is like, she's targeted towards like young teens and young adult women as like, you don't have to be shy. Like it's okay to talk to people and make friends. Um, and I think that would be really cute. And then there's also a very lesser known Sanrio character called Big Challenges, and he's just this little <laughs> chompy alligator boy. <laughs> I would love to see that. 
Um, so his name is Big Challenges? Big Challenges. I wish I could insert a picture right here, but if you just go Google Big Challenges Sanrio, you'll see this little green boy. He's so good. <laughs> Aw. Yeah. I think this should be the beginning of the Sanrio cinematic netflix averse. <laughs> God, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Alright, uh, so next up is uh, something for Andrew. Oh. Tell, tell us about this one. Oh, I'm back. Uh, okay, so, uh, so, Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai takes first place for worst title of, uh, 2018. Uh, Asobi Asobase, Workshop of Fun, takes second place for worst <laughs> title of 2018. So, Asobi Asobase, uh, Workshop of Fun, uh, Good God, is not about a workshop of fun. Uh, so it, so... So, Alright, so I forget what you said, Tori, about uh, Agretzko being like a uh, it was something about like a work comedy. What did you say? It was something it's, like... It's a work comedy, basically. Right. And I just said that. How have you forgotten already? I'm sorry. I'm tired. Um, but like you said it was <laughs> like almost a... almost one in the morning. I, I forgot how you put it. You put it like it's a... Banality skate, Yeah, you put... You said... Alright, let me start. let me start over again. Do you mind? <laughs> no, go ahead. So, so welcome Tori, to the 2019 Best as... Up Podcast. Okay. Alright, let me start over again. So Tori, I think you put it as a scathing work comedy. Uh, yes. Asabi is a scathing uh, school comedy. So, like, okay. all of the characters in the show sort of are always butting heads and creating very ugly faces. Uh... <laughs> in That's the name true. of comedy uh so uh asabi asabase workshop of fun essentially is about a a group of three girls and their teacher advisor uh that they form a club called the pastimers club where they basically like go over various uh pastimes in japanese culture like little games and stuff but like that's not what's important what's important is that they're all like sort of bad people and have like bad character traits and those always like come out whenever they argue about things like uh one girl is like she's she like doesn't tell the truth to people and is sometimes kind of vain another girl just really desperately wants to be popular and then another girl just doesn't want to sort of be involved with anybody and doesn't really want to do any of these pastime things so but they've sort of form you know a cohesive relationship with with each other you know through butting heads and they end up sort of you know caring for each other in a very strange way and uh but the thing that is probably the most memorable is just the horrifyingly ugly faces that these characters make and it makes for you know great twitter images and uh <laughs> i think like the first couple episodes i watched i was like aggressively tweeting at tobias and maybe some other people say gotta watch this just for, just for this it's so nuts like it's so ridiculous and speaking of death metal also uh 
Asobe Asabase takes the cake for the most misleading title and most, most misleading OP. Uh, and it takes the title for the best in track, which is probably the most <laughs> fitting in track of anything in 2018. It's a... The OP for this show is a very, you know, like, ho-hum sort of general like slice of life opening track but the ed is all of them playing in a metal band the art goes all black and really jarring and kind of frightening and uh it just makes for a, a fun experience all right so we're down to the final two final two guys final two so these are the ones that it seems to me sort of made the most appearances on these lists uh in one way or another so the first one up is a show that just recently ended not too many weeks ago from this past season Zombieland Saga. For me, Zombieland Saga was my number four, and I think it made it onto Tobias's and Bill's and Tori's lists, I believe? Yep. And uh, Sarah's honorable mentions. So, yeah, a lot of us seem to really have enjoyed Zombieland Saga from this year. Uh, so, Bill, can you tell us what Zombieland Saga is about? Sure. Um, guys, it's an idol show. But with zombies. Oh, I'm so uninterested. <laughs> Where basically the premise of the show is this madman scientist who is very entertaining uh, decides I'm going to bring back famous idols from different time periods and turn them into zombies and make them the greatest idol group of all time to save, supposedly save this school. Uh, and that's the premise, uh, with our main heroine being relatively uh, of the present day, and she has to adjust with, to all these different um, people with different personalities and attitudes, and their crazy, super hyper, in-your-face producer-slash-manager. <laughs> so did you say, save a school? Yeah, like that's his recurring statement from the producers to save uh, to save Saga, the school saga. Okay, I got I got to correct you real quick. So Saga is uh, a prefecture in Japan. Uh, so he's actually talking about like saving their whole like town essentially. Okay, the way the sub the Crunchyroll subtitle made it, it sounded like it, the way they framed it, it was a school. But no, I mean, no, it's it's, it's 
yeah, it's based around that that specific town. It's a very rural town. It's it's actually where oh, my yeah. uh, <laughs> my old uh, roommate from uh, from college. That's where he was from in Japan, from uh, from Saga. So it's a very very rural town that has a large elderly population, as it is conveyed in that in the show. And uh, right. it's it's kind of one of those you know sort of Japanese towns is sort of down on their luck because of. XYZ socio-political reasons. So let's form um, an idol group to save the town. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I think the reason why the show resonated so well is because unlike most idol shows, it, the show really leaned into uh, the comedic sensibility, which is mm-hmm. the absurd premise, which I think really connected with people. And compared to most idol shows i think the show did really well in connecting the audience to each of the idols showing off their personalities and their issues they faced um like for example uh, i think the biggest example would be uh lily who when you learn her background you learn that uh growing up she used to be a man who wanted to be a uh a, fem- a female idol singer and the cool thing about that show is just the characters are like pretty much cool with it and so is her dad and so is her dad um, and just to have a trans character within an anime that's not treated as a the transness sorry uh, her being a trans person is not being the joke is a nice change of pace whereas any any game or most anime would just that would be the joke because you used to be a man which which was a nice change of pace mm-hmm. um also um the songs are very catchy which mm-hmm. is good for an idol show um especially the uh chicken song that they have to sing in the in their <laughs> commercial uh <laughs> uh and like it does some have some idol tropes of they're trying to build up a following uh, where at first they're performing in like um, out on the street doing outdoor performances and then they're trying to rise up through the venue so there is some idle elements to it um, but I they think they go to sing at the old folks home <laughs> yeah I too <laughs> uh, but it, it does some nice twists to it where they had like a really cool uh, rap battle scene in, at, uh, in one section I forget where they were performing that bit that was at the old folks home which oh, is that hilarious the, that was at the old folks yes. home that's funny uh, <laughs> where they're just tr- where it just comes out of spontaneity of just the frustration between two of the characters um, mm-hmm. and just the kind of absurdity of where they are at and how that's typically not what an idol group does made that moments just so fun in the show and I think that's one great thing is just the show just keeps having great little moments that seem spontaneous and just uh, not just like you see the joke coming a mile away which I think is a nice change of pace Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah Saga is a prefecture and local idols are like kind of a tourism thing in Japan where if you want some quick good publicity then just get some cute girls to sing and dance about oh here's what's so nice about this place that we live in and blah 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 um and that's sort of where this sprung from even though that's kind of a dying trend so then i guess they were trying to resurrect that trend Uh (laughs) i had to sneak one in guys come on that's a good one um 
but yeah so that's sort of like part of the basic premise of the show and then also with it being zombies it's like they do sleep and eat but they don't necessarily have to do that so then that makes things easier as well um Mm -hmm. but i also think that overall uh the show having having such a weird producer manager character and then having all the girls be zombies was like at first I was like is this like a weird commentary on the entertainment industry like what is happening I don't know anymore and I still don't really know to be honest I'm still figuring it out um it wasn't really like that was just the first impression I got and I don't think it really had that vibe by the end of it there was definitely certain reasons for certain things mm-hmm. but I think the uh, the biggest reason for them to be zombies is just to have different girls from different uh, like uh, uh, like uh, periods of time so we're able to interact not only with like the modern idol culture but the cuddle culture from the 90s and the 80s and then the whole like uh, what like Bozuzoku like uh, oh, geez, what's the, word? the whole Sukeban culture and even like earlier on and be able to sort of talk about the way the industry has evolved over time and these other subcultures and these the very different personality of these characters as well without relying on something that you would get in a modern idol series that is just a bunch of girls the same age that are all stuck in this yeah, like, like, mid 2000s uh, time frame uh one one in one episode the the idol that came from the 80s idol, idol scene is not used to the more in person meet and greets mm-hmm. and so you have that bit where she's struggling of like well what is being an idol anymore I'm not used to this and her having to just kind of see what figure out what her limits are and what how she can kind of um, kind of come to grips with this new um, idol idol fan culture of just in more personal meet and greets and being more personal with your fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the very excellent. Um, well, there, there's a lot of things about this show that I think they really, really, truly nailed. But I think the, the just the dynamic between the girls of their incredibly different backgrounds between each other, like like uh, there's there's only how many of them? Six? Only six, I believe. Girls. Seven. Um, yeah. as, as opposed to uh, a lot of idol groups that we see that are like you know In the nine hundreds. or ten people, or <laughs> or forty eight or a hundred, or you know. Um, but uh, I, I think that they made a very wise decision to sort of cut down on the number of girls here, or the number of characters. Um, to sort of give it that time that it needed to really flesh out all of them, even though I think some of them would really benefit from a season two, which hopefully we will get. Um, But I think it was very interesting to sort of touch on what you said, Tobias, about putting all of these girls from vastly different time periods, uh, from vastly different backgrounds, all in sort of the same house, working on the same project, and being passionate about the same thing, regardless of their very strange somewhat tragic background because all of the girls um none of them like well since they are all young they all died in very tragic ways um and the, you explore that uh through each of the characters and sort of figure out what led to their uh their untimely demises um in the past um and all of those things related to their death come out in their character in in other ways um 
But even then, you have, like, only two of the girls were actually idols in the past. Uh, the Sukaban girl, uh, she was not an idol, was never even really indicated she was ever interested in singing or anything like that. Uh, um, courtesans sing. Huh? Courtesans sing. I was talking about, um, Saki. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Biker girl. Saki. Yeah, biker girl. Um... So, like, she was, like, you know, just whatever about this whole idol thing. Probably never even crossed her mind. Um, and then we have our, our main character, Sakura, who is a huge fan of idols, who would like to be one, uh, sort of like, sort of thrust immediately into the situation where it's just like, oh, okay, now you have to be an idol. So it's like, oh, no, now I've got all this pressure on me of this thing that I've wanted to do, and now I have to do it. Um, and sort of all of them, you know, learning and growing together and forming forming very excellent uh, relationships with each other and uh, relationships with the producer who is both wild and ridiculous and insane but also like very um, centered very centered very sensitive um, like he is he is a character that I really appreciate because he does like aggressive love and I I really identify with that because sometimes like I just want to like like if like if my one of my friends or one of my loved ones is like having a rough time I just want to like shake them to their like you know terminal velocity and be like I love you you're awesome be better I'm encouraging you I believe in you don't let him um, lie to you he screams at me that I'm a dumbass all the time no I don't <laughs> you big idiot love yourself god <laughs> damn it exactly like that's how I feel sometimes and I love that character because he kind of is that in amongst all of his ridiculousness as well yeah, so he, there, he there's just really so much character. to love about Zombieland Saga it is so genuine it is so fun it is hilarious and, That's what um, I was going to say, like, very much like Agretzko, this show hooked me with this really great comedic timing, and, you know, you could have come for that in the first episode, the second episode with the rap battle, but by the end, like, you stay for this deep character development, and these appreciation of these characters. Uh, like, it, it started with me, like, laughing at this goofy show, but then again, just like all these other shows, I'm by the end, I'm in tears. Yeah. <laughs> We're, we're forgetting the superstar of the show, Tai John. Yeah, Chan. I was about to say. <laughs> tai John. She needs a backstory. Yeah. <laughs> any, she does. Yeah, her any, and Yugiri. Yep, both. Yeah. Any show that can go an entire 12 episodes with Sailor Moon doing nothing but making zombie grunts is an instant win in my book. <laughs> Absolutely. I yeah. love the audacity of that. Casting mm -hmm. such a legendary voice actress and, and making like, her just make uh, grunts and groans. The entire time. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, but, such absolute audacity. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think a good appeal uh, to me about the show is that it does a very good job of balancing, kind of like you guys said, the... Uh, the silliness with very heartfelt moments, and um, I I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, just kind of finding out more about the girls as things went along, and then like some more reveals at the end. Um, the last couple episodes with Sokka kind of really got to me. Um, oh yeah. Uh, when she, uh, I don't know, Andrew, are you gonna watch this? What? Are you gonna watch this, Andrew? Yes. Don't say a word. Also, we don't want to spoil it for people listening, right? Yeah, that's pretty new. That's That's fair. Then you need, yep. um, but it's just the last few episodes of the show um, with what was happening to Sakura like, really got to me on like a just a personal level. And I'm like, hmm, should I go get hit by a bus? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, as your attorney, I will advocate against this. 
Okay, yes, mom. Um, anyway, <laughs> but um, I, I really hoping, I'm really hoping, and I think so, I feel confident with the way they ended the last episode that it will open up into season two. Because mm-hmm. um, there's just so many things that we don't know that they kind of revealed in the last few episodes that I think need answers. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also kind of like, well, if they didn't continue it, I wouldn't be super upset. I would just be a little bummed out. And the and the spray can image is 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 good. <laughs> spray can image? Yeah, the one of Sakura getting sprayed. Oh, oh yeah, that oh. one. The face, yeah. <laughs> I also need Yugiri to slap me whenever I'm having a moment. That's what I need oh, in my life. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, the my my. T- two points would be um i think what makes this show great and what i wish more idol shows would do is is they need to spend more time with the individual idols themselves so that way you get to know their personality absolutely i think that's what's one thing that i hate about idol shows that have much bigger groups because you have the group is so large you can't put a focus on any of them because you have to keep going constantly back and forth and i think that's one thing that zombie land saga gets perfectly uh, even though a few get left out to a certain degree. Um, but compared to most idol shows, everyone's given at least one episode to themselves or has an ongoing arc throughout the entire uh, series. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think a lot of idol shows sort of, not explicitly but implicitly, are about the relationship between the viewer and the idol rather than the idols and each other. And I think it's a lot more compelling to have you know, idols that are working together as a group, watching them grow with each other, not necessarily being like, okay, we're setting up this type of idol to appeal to this type of viewer, etc., etc. It's like the girls in Zombieland Saga have real chemistry with each other, real fights, real, you know, moments of solidarity and love, and it's 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 a great it's a great show. It really is. Ooh, and they um, they actually acknowledge that men exist in this world and regularly interact <laughs> with the girls other than their producer because that's something that kind of like ruffles me a little bit as idol about idol shows in general is that there's just like no men in the world because like the people that consume this stuff don't want to feel like they have any competition and they have their idol all to themselves. Mm-hmm. But um, you <laughs> regularly see, you know, the Zombieland girls interacting with male fans and like just men in general that's really refreshing i think especially for idol content (laughs) and just like the outside world in general like they don't they they touch on it in some ways they don't go super deep but like the show engages with some social issues um they engage with with like you said with like the uh with uh lily being being trans and things like that they deal with some of these societal woes of japan like with the elderly population and they're not really being many young people in japan i mean sorry not many young people in some of those uh, more rural areas of japan um so it's it's really really refreshing it it says a lot and Mm -hmm. it, it it shows that you can tell an idol story and not make it make it so in its own little bubble you can tell a story that takes place in something that is more akin to the real world even with all these fantastical elements of zombies and all that junk i was hoping that they would go just a little bit darker with one of the girls and be like oh you know she died because of societal pressure of being an idol or 
oh no, she was attacked by a rabid fan at a fan meet, because, I mean, that's happened. Idols have been stabbed yep. to death mm-hmm. by fans. <laughs> um, we'll see what happened to Yugiri and Tai, so we'll see. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, <laughs> my, um, my only negatives with this show is CGI performances, which I, I brought up before in the previous Idol show. It uh, got better. Talked about. It got better, but it was still looking bad. And um, also, this is not a spoiler, since this was in the uh, first episode, Amnesia Plot. I, it makes I, would, the, I would... Okay, go ahead, Bill. It's not. It's in the first episode. That's not a spoiler. I'm not saying who, but it's Amnesia Plot. They use Amnesia I, Plot to get the engine rolling, which... I, okay. Which, I like, it worked, but I think that's a cheap writer trick. I would argue that uh, out of all the amnesia plots I have ever seen, Zombieland Saga did it the best way, personally. I think I could probably write a whole essay and might actually write a whole essay about how the amnesia plot of Zombieland Saga is one of the best amnesia plots ever. I know it's a very tired trope and I agree with it and (laughs) I typically hate it, but I think that this show did it exceptionally well. Better in my than, personal opinion. Better than Death Note. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh when boy. you say each there's the show, each of the like individual parts of it, uh, I would say you're not maybe not necessarily bad, but not something that I'm generally okay with. Not a fan of idols. I actively despise zombie stories, and the major plot's <laughs> probably a little, you know, well worn. But just like the way it came together, and just the glue that held everything together, really makes this shine. And if you, you know, if you're not watching this because like maybe you're in my boat, you don't like sick idols or zombies or anything, still go check this out. This is for sure one of the best of 2018. There's a reason it's on this podcast. It's pretty great. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. We're moving in to the final one, the the titan of anime in 2018. Uh, well, bye. <laughs> bye. The greatest anime television series to have ever been created mm-hmm. by human hands. Yep. Uh, Laidback Camp. Secret Society Blanket Show. Yes. All right. So, uh, Andrew, lay it on us. What made Laidback Camp so special this year? Um. See, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, okay, so I, w- I want to preface this a little bit with, like, sort of a, a definition of what sort of Iyashike is. So, Iyashike is a relatively new word in uh in defining anime and manga but it has been around for a long time um so what it essentially means is like healing show um and uh a lot of people generally associate the word yashike with nature porn which i think is not necessarily correct 
but uh, with this show, um, this show uh, brings like the sum of of anime parts together into like a an, an incredible crescendo of great character work, stunning visuals, and just a general sense of uh, calm and uh, sort of appreciation for small things in life like you know having a campsite all to yourself and uh, the the joys and also the slight annoyances of uh, being warmed by a by a fire outside uh, and it uh, it affected me incredibly because I super duper you know, enjoyed it. Like, I knew, like, right off the bat that this was going to be something I was interested in. It took me a while to, to actually watch it, but, uh, I, I, once I finally sat down and, and watched it, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop, and it was just far too, it's far too incredible to pass up for anybody. Um, yeah, I think that's all I gotta say. Mm-hmm. I think that of, of laid-back camps, particular genre, which is, you know, group of young girls who do fun hobby together in a very calm and pleasing way i think that it is kind of a masterpiece of that particular genre because all of the things that go into making this show work so incredibly well so you've got you've got this uh you've got this camping element where all the girls have this shared hobby of enjoying the outdoors going camping and spending time with each other um all of the aspects of the, uh, the camping part of the show are done in in a way that you know I'm I'm not a camper much Andrew you could probably speak more to this but it's done uh, in a way that real people would go out camping. Oh yeah. Um, it is uh, done in sort of a strange like how to sort of mm-hmm. way because they even break down like this these are the things that you should bring with you on a camping trip this yep. is how you cook meals on a camping trip uh, our friends over at uh, NOS Anime they watched the show they really enjoyed it and they did a whole panel series or a whole panel about how to make all of the delicious food dishes found in Laidback Camp uh, on your own camping trips like what equipment you need what ingredients you need to bring and they did that panel at uh, AWA and I thought it was just fantastic I love that panel um, but it, it's got that whole element with it as well with all the camping and all the very uh, genuine ways that they are engaging with each other through this hobby and engaging with nature uh, in this very real way and then they also have like the dynamics between the characters how they all sort of form this very cozy relationship with each other this like soft friendship um, and they really and truly have the passion for this shared hobby that they engage with together and you just get to sh- see that raw joy of them just spending time with each other doing what they love uh, and doing it together in such an amazing way mm-hmm. and um, sort of all that paired with just how hilarious the show is because yeah. it's really silly and funny mm-hmm. like there are some amazing like comedic writing in it that is not typically what you see in uh in anime comedy is like i know bill you can speak to this about how you like particularly don't like anime comedy as a general rule but yeah. i feel like you probably thought this show was really funny like do you want to speak to that it was it was really funny just kind of just the 
I, it was more like cute funny of just what's who's the main girl with the pink hair? Nadeshko. Uh, Nadeshko. Nadeshko. Of just like her sweet kind of innocence of just trying to get to hang out more with the um I'm having brain farts. Uh Reen. Reen, thank you. And how she Reen is very much I just like to be alone and I like to have my kind of my quiet isolation where Nadesco is like, no, let's go camping together. And just her <laughs> sweet innocence about it. I've just, um, in one episode, she dreams that they're all in their t- uh, tent and the tent's able to fly like a rocket ship. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's super. And that just made me laugh at just how absurd that got to be. Or how <laughs> their, their club room, because they don't have that many members, it's only like Nadesco and like two other girls at the beginning. It's basically like the smallest broom closet known to man mm-hmm. where it's <laughs> it's super it doesn't have a lot of room and they're just trying to get into it and just them being very dramatic of just like I got the money to get the camping equipment <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very it was just very funny. But I think the one thing that stole the show for me is just the beautiful folksy traditional soundtrack that the show has like with the kind of the flutes and the guitar I just that I just love it just put me to sleep I'm just like I'm I'm in a warm blanket I got cocoa I'm just so happy because growing up I grew up with going camping a lot and listening to a lot of traditional kind of folksy um, music going camping and so that kind of brought back memories for me um and also, uh, I'm going to make Austin, you better, at the beginning of the segment, put in Shiny Days, because that <laughs> song is so, makes me so happy. It's like a super happy, perfect pop song. Mm-hmm. It really is. It, uh, it, where it just like, if that song doesn't put a smile on your face, I don't know what will. Mm-hmm. So, Sarah, what made Laid Back Camp special for you? Um, Gosh, you guys have covered it pretty well. I mean... I feel like it also showed the relationships that you can have with friends of being like, I'm friends with this person, and then by extension, I'm friends with that person, and having that relationship kind of grow, or not. Like, you don't have to be best friends with every single person. Um, Also, I physically identify with that one teacher who's just constantly drunk on rum. Yeah. I just want to say that. <laughs> Toba Sensei. Yes. <laughs> who was conveniently actually in this podcast apparently twice. Yeah. Hey-o. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and, but, and, but Toba is close to Tobias. So. Oh, I'm drunk as hell right now, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a good show. Um... It is it like okay? So is the manga for it over and everything, or is there a no. possibility of a second season? There's okay. a second no, they season are, they, are, they already announced they're doing a an OV, uh, some OVAs, a second season, and a movie. <laughs> Fantastic! Awesome. Mm-hmm. I could use some more yeah. to be honest. Because yep. this Me is too. a this this was a Crunchyroll co-production, mm-hmm. mm. so I think they solved that. This is gaining popularity, and said we're going to get on this, and they—they mm-hmm. uh, they were right to choose this one. Yeah. Uh, Tori, what did you think? Um, <clears throat> you showed me this show when I was having a rough time, especially when it was like when it came to like watching things, because I was so 
bummed out by like everything I was watching because it just did not make me happy and I felt like every show that I was watching I'd have to have some complaint about it because that's just how it was um but then I put this on and I was like healed (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and I was like well you know I can watch whatever I want if I want to specifically seek out soft and wholesome shows so be it if that's just what I end up watching so be it but like everything about the show is just perfect and I love seeing the girls come together and have fun and um, just genuinely enjoy being around each other and uplifting each other and um, Akko from Little Witch and Nadeshko would definitely be best friends because they're both very stupid oh yeah I'd oh, watch man. that show so much they would create the biggest mess known to humanity. Mm-hmm. Yes. My uh, my general rule of thumb for like characters like that is: Would Akko be friends with this person <laughs> <laughs> to gauge their uh, stupidity? I would watch all of those crossovers, please. <laughs> Just give me the Akko best friend TV series. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> back witch academia. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I don't know if you just want to put something on and kind of. Um, like Bill said, cozy up and just relax. It's a really, really good show. It definitely fits in that uh, genre of stuff, and I enjoyed it very much and would watch it over and over and over and over. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, but going along, it's like you said, sort of just, uh, you know, put it on or, or something. But I, I think that uh, it's another show that can really be, you know, not only passively viewed, like, uh, viewing the show actively like the art in the show is terrific and the soundtrack paired with that art makes it even better and then the character development and the character interactions mixed with the art and the soundtrack makes it even better so there is there are not many failings that I can see, I don't know if it's a rose-colored lens, but there are not many failings that I can see uh, in terms of how I could think to make this show better, and that that's on, and that's, you know, something that I don't get often. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you were legitimately trying to find negatives with the show, you would be pulling muscles from reaching. Yeah because there's there's really just nothing wrong with it and I'm very much that person that like when I watch something I'm immediately like okay that's wrong that's bad no I don't like it um but I never had those thoughts with the show at all Mm -hmm. I think if if any well I wouldn't even call it a huge negative I would just say this show is it has no central story really but it doesn't matter because the story is about the experiences of these girls uh, spending time with each other, enjoying the hobby of camping, and just going out and experiencing the world. And that's the story. With beautiful Japanese um, backgrounds, I think that's one other thing the show does really well. Just like because it's a camping show, the environment that they're in is very pretty to look at. Like the backgrounds yep. of the mountains and the lake. It's just like, ooh, I'd like to be there. And it's not like the sort of general type of, like, beautiful scenery that you see in anime, which usually involves, you know, summer and, like, spring and cherry blossom trees. It's very different because it's winter mm-hmm. time, but And it still is able to, you know, invoke such a sort of visceral response uh, through this gorgeous scenery and... Uh, 
all these uh, sort of uh, this amalgamation of uh, you know stimuli come together and make just a just an incredible show that is unmissable. I don't often say that, but this show is unmissable. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think I will stand by this for all time. That Laidback Camp really is a masterpiece of its type of show. Oh, yeah. I think. Oh yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Well, we did it. We got through our whole list. Woo-hoo! It only took us five hours. Uh, I know. This Hello podcast world. feels like it took forever. I live. Yeah, Marissa's still there. I'm still here. Everyone's still I've had nothing to say because I well, didn't watch the past couple of things, so I just kept my trap shut. Well, thank but, you for, but hold thank on, you thank for you, sticking you, it you, out. You, we completely forgot to mention Goblin Slate. Goodbye. Oh, good goof. Goodbye, us, Tobias. <laughs> Better keep oh. that in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, thank you all so very much for taking a uh, a considerable amount of time out of your Tuesday night uh, on a work night to uh, to uh, <laughs> hang out with me and, and all of us to uh, get this podcast done. I think it'll be a fantastic episode. I really hope that all of you listeners out there enjoyed it. It's probably our, it's definitely our longest episode <laughs> yeah, we've ever made. Yeah. And, no. you know, that's, that's totally cool because I think that 2018 in the anime world was an absolutely standout year and all these things deserve uh at least uh some of your attention i think you should check out everything that's on this list uh you probably won't like everything that's totally fine you don't have to watch all these things but i think all of the things that we put together for this episode are at least something that you should uh maybe pay attention to if you're looking back to uh things that you might have missed in uh 2018 and if there's anything that you really liked that we didn't cover please let us know what you thought about it we are uh always uh ready and willing to listen with open ears to hear people gush about their uh their favorite things uh from from anime of uh 2018 or from uh anime in general i'm not that's just what we do except for tori if you don't like what i recommended i'm breaking into your house and robbing you (laughs) (laughs) tori's being extra aggressive because it's late (laughs) all right well everybody thank you so much for being on here um Let's see. Should we do the Twitter Twitter roundup? They know where to find us. I That's true. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, they know. Just go over on Twitter and follow us at, at TI underscore anime. That's our main Twitter account. You can find all of us through that. Because oh, uh, I often retweet from everybody. So, yeah. If, what are you going to say, Bill? If, if you want more best of 2018, go to our go to the Third Impact website, www.thirdimpact.com. No, wrong. ThirdImpactAnime.com. Anime.com. Loser. It's because <laughs> I'm tired. Uh, I mean, I love you, Bill. You're best friend. I love you. I love you too, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, if you want more Best of 2018 content, a bunch of us has written up really entertaining and interesting Best of 2018 lists mm-hmm. and articles um, that talked about stuff that's uh, beyond just anime. Um, whether that be games or uh, normie TV or uh, <laughs> uh, stuff that we saw in person, like live shows. So if you're if you want to have even more best of 2018, go check out those best of lists that we that we made. Absolutely, thank you, Bill. Um, yeah, a handful of us have put up those lists, and uh, they're they're great reads. If you just want to see uh, what we were doing in 
uh, in addition to uh, anime in 2018 and what meant a lot to us in that year. So again, thank you all for joining us for this super long episode. We hope you really enjoyed it. Uh, please share it with your friends. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, head over to whatever podcast service it is that you're using right now and uh, uh, subscribe if you would like, if you like the show, um, and send us a review either on iTunes or Stitcher. We'd really appreciate that. That helps the show more than you can more than you can realize, and we'd really, really appreciate the feedback. All right, guys. Well, this has been 2018 in review. And thanks for being here. We'll see you next time.